This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Let's get after it. Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Hustler-Patterson with you along with the CTO, Michael Remus. And uh, lots to get to today. Going to talk some hockey, going to get into some football. Always love having Marshall Ferguson on the program. Even better after he called last night's sparsely attended CFL game between Ottawa and Toronto. Um, We probably won't spend too much time on last night's win by the Argos, but we certainly will talk bombers and more of the CFL as we get into the rest of the week of action in three down ball. Get a little NFL talk in there as well. And then we'll be all over the Winnipeg Jets with our good friend Marat Atesh of The Athletic, who's going to join us a little later on. Recap last night's game against the Calgary Flames. Discuss what went down to practice today. Logan Stanley back on the ice, although in a non-contact jersey, as well as the final preseason game. But also a little bit more about what we can take from last night's matchup and attribute it to next Wednesday's home or road opener, first game of the season for the Winnipeg Jets against the Anaheim Ducks, which of course will not have Mark Shifley in the lineup. And the Jets went with that lineup without Shifley last night in somewhat of preparation for game number one of the season. So we'll get to all of that. Um, big, big wildcard game last night. Absolute thriller. We'll talk about that in just a second with Michael Remus and much more. Uh, as always, when we get things going, we uh, do want to thank the uh, people that make this happen every day here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, our great family of sponsors, including our newest sponsor, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug, Boston Pizza, Not Auto Corp, Canadian Club Whiskey, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, and of course, our betting partner over at Cool Bet Canada. Uh, some interesting cool bet lines to get to coming out of last night. If you check my uh, Twitter late last night, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, as always, you can follow me at Hustlerama. Hit the show at Sports Talk WPG and follow one Michael Remus at M Remus, who joins me now. Remo, what's going on? How are you doing this fine Thursday? Us uh, feeling great. Sorry, I was just, uh, what am I doing? Playing a little NHL 22 while you're doing that intro. Uh, came out today if you got the uh, EA play. Oh, no. I get a 10-hour trial, so I'm I'm just going to be sitting here uh, doing that during the show. No, just Maybe we just stream that. Maybe we, uh, you know, well, I yeah. can talk to Marat and Marshall and we can have in one screen just you doing your thing. Now, have you de- have you debuted NHL 22 on the Twitch stream yet? No, I haven't. I haven't played it. It literally came out at 10 a.m., so I got I posted uh, on my Twitter the Jets' ratings and lines. Um, people are upset Nikolai Ehlers only got, what, 86? And I, who Wheeler's eighty eight. I I tweeted them out. I can pull them up in a sec. But yeah, it's a good day if you're a fan of uh, you know the video gaming. What's the word? What's the word on the new game? Usually, uh, I just hear incessant whining from all you NHL hardos every single time a new game comes out. And then after mm-hmm. a little while, people are into it and they play it nonstop the yeah, way they always. Yeah, do. people are. I mean, it's the only game out there if you want to play NHL hockey. So you don't. You're stuck with it. Um, I don't know. There's supposed to be some good changes this year. Um, I. I haven't I don't know there's some new X Factor thing I don't know we'll we'll have to wait and see I haven't I haven't uh, dive into it yet. Well, uh, the one thing I, I do know that throughout the season they do adjust players' ratings, and yeah. if anyone's been paying attention to last season, we always talk about how the Jets are somewhat slept on, both from a betting perspective. Usually, the odds are a little bit jacked up for Winnipeg because a lot of times people aren't paying attention to them. I think we could say the same thing about Nikolai Ehlers. 
And if last night's preseason game is any indication of what we've got coming up for an 82-game regular season, Nikolai Ehlers will see that 86 rating go up significantly because I tell you what, dude, he it looked like he was in regular season form last night. Very narrowly missing a hat trick, generating a ton of offense, scoring two really great goals and leading the Jets to uh, the win over the Calgary Flames last night in a game, to be honest, Remus, that should not have been close. Um, at one point, the shots were 26 to five in the second period. Um, I was actually out with Milt Stiegel over at Not Autocorp uh, getting after it for a, a little TV spot they're yeah. working on. So nice I did miss job. most of the first period, but um, got there afterwards. Yes, yes, indeed. It was great to see the turtle man. He's yeah. uh, fired up yeah, with the bombers and whatnot. Way to go. Just out with uh, Milt Stiegel. I miss, miss the game, not to brag or anything. Way, way big, to go. big name drop yeah, there. Yeah, way to well, go. Has. you know what? It's I said <laughs> yesterday on the program that Milt being one of the most prominent not Autocorp spokesperson was coming in. And of course, Milt's also in today for the HSC lottery, which he's uh, heavily involved in. So we'll give a plug for the HSC lottery, obviously, uh, for a great cause and something that's close to me after all the incredible help I got. I have received over the last year from the people at the Health Sciences Center. So yeah, support the HSC Foundation. You can find out more about the HSC lottery online. But Milt uh, was in here. Uh, it was, you know, lots of fun kind of seeing the behind the scenes of how some of those things work. But uh, again, it did take me away from the game for a little bit. So I got there a little bit late. And the Jets, for their part, looked like they're ready to go for the upcoming season. I, I like the the speed of the team. Uh, put it this way, I'd be very concerned if I was a Calgary Flames fan watching that game last night. Now, I know Johnny Hockey wasn't in the lineup and they didn't have Sean Monaghan. But the Jets didn't have Mark Shifley. And they looked like a far, far more prepared team for the upcoming season than the Calgary Flames did last night. And, you know, again, you know, I I hesitate to get too excited or fired up about anything coming out of preseason hockey, but we did know that this game last night was in a lot of ways somewhat of a dress rehearsal for game number one, where the Winnipeg Jets are going to be without their number one center, Mark Shifley. And um, tell you what, didn't look that bad last night against a team like Calgary, so they will have to do it without Shifley for one game, but they seemed ready to do it last night. And we saw some pretty good contributions for a number of players. But bottom line is, if you went to that game last night, everyone walking down the stairwells after the game was talking about number seven, uh, number 27, Nikolai Ehlers. He is the uh, he's the talk of the Jets fan base right now, and for good reason. Uh, it's been a great offseason. Uh, you know, took Denmark on his back, qualified for the Olympics for the first time. And it seems like he's got that jump right now. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm excited to see a lot of the Winnipeg Jets when we get to next Wednesday in Anaheim, but none more than number 27. What a game. Um, I mean, for Nikolai Ehlers, that first goal, uh, the slap shot from far away. First of all, I love slap shot goals because you don't see them. But to be able to beat a goalie from that far away um, with a shot like that in the corner was incredible. And the Jets really put the pressure on in the first period. Calgary didn't show up at all. Um, Dan uh, Vladar uh, was incredible. You know, point blank stops. I think Cop Morrissey. There were so many chances, many pa- opportunities to show that he's ready for the season. I mean, yeah. it was nonstop rubber it, going at the Calgary it, net. But uh, Nikolai Ehlers in that game, uh, he was on another level um, from the rest of the competition. He was all over the ice, not only scoring two goals, but uh, uh, Murat was tweeting. You can ask him about it later. He was tweeting about shot assists. And some of these didn't result in goals, but he found Andrew Kopp, uh, Toninato, 
uh, Josh Morrissey setting these guys up with like grade A opportunities over and over again. And not only that, you watch his, you know, the way he gains the zone on the power play, um, his speed through the neutral zone. You know, when he gets, I remember, you know, when the Jets first came back and Dustin Bufflin, you know, would wind up, you know, in the defensive end and take it end to end and be like, oh, here comes Bob. And you would get really excited. I'm getting those kind of vibes here from Nick Eilers. This guy is going to have an absolute breakout season. I think he was top. Fi- he was no. He was 50 on TSN's player list. Where do you think he ends up next year? Because it's going to be higher than 50. This guy is an elite talent, and I'm looking forward to seeing and seeing him this year. And we hope that he gets you know the minutes that he deserves. But I mean, we saw yesterday the they have two very good power plays. And, yep. you know, they have the Ehlers unit and then, you know, the Shafley-Wheeler-Connor one. But uh, and I was always skeptical, like Ehlers on, you know, his regular wing on the point. You know, usually you have guys in the off wing for one-timers, but, you know, he makes it work and he scores goals, like scores goals from there that not many players can score. And uh, well, I'm, it, I'm it, very excited for Nikolai Ehlers. Yeah, me too. And, you know, the power play, the PP2 that had Schmidt and Morrissey on it was an interesting look because, you know, at times they would put it into the zone. It was up to Morrissey to go in and, um, you know, kind of get low and become, you know, essentially a forward, if you will, in that mix. And Ehlers would come back around. Um, you know, it, there were some some good things that happened. There were, it was a little disjointed at times at well. They certainly did have a few opportunities to show it. Um, but I do think that's going to be, I, I think there's some merits to having both Nate Schmidt and Josh Morrissey on the point or on the point on the power play. Um, but again, that entire power play unit will revolve around number 27. And, you know, as Paul Maurice and these guys, presumably if they're together going into the regular season, um, you know, it'll be working a number of areas to uh, try to get Nikolai Ehlers open in a little bit of space to uh, whether it's shoot the puck uh, shoot it on for a rebound or set up his teammates. Um, they can get some grade A scoring opportunities because the more grade A chances you have with a guy like 27 shooting the puck, the more times it's going to go in. So overall, it was um, it was a solid performance for the Jets, top to bottom, uh, with the exception of uh, a little blip in the second period. And I think at that the, when Calgary got back in the game room, the Jets were off it a little bit, and it was all in the aftermath of the Blake um, Coleman hit on Jansen Harkins. Coleman got two minutes for boarding. I was stunned that he wasn't kicked out of the game. I mean, that was a very, very dangerous hit. And he did get a call from NHL player safety, and we'll have a hearing today on that hit. Um, I thought that, you know, the officials, especially it being a preseason game, could have avoided a lot of the things that came afterwards if they had just given him the boot for a very, very dangerous check. Um, but that didn't happen. And once he came out of the box, it seemed like the Jets were a little bit preoccupied with Blake Coleman. Um, because they were running away with a hockey game at the time. Um, but, you know, there was one, you know, kind of glaring mishap towards the end of a power play where uh, everyone was staring at Matthew Kachuk. Uh, that led to a goal. Um, and then the other one, you know, essentially just running around. I mean, Nate Bolio kind of sticking up for his teammate goes and takes, uh, you know, an unsportsmanlike penalty after the after the goal, which got them up another power play. Um, but overall, the Jets were clearly the better team last night. Uh, but they did get off their game a little bit, pretty angry and justifiably so on a very dangerous check to Jansen Harkins. Yeah, I don't like that check at all where a guy is on the ground and then you go and bash him into the boards. I think there's, I don't know if there's a rule, but Face like first. hitting a guy um, while his knees are down. Like I know in the UFC, has you can't knee a guy in the head while his knee is down. But 
in the NHL, I mean, you know, it's only a two-minute penalty if you check a guy but from the numbers into the boards while he's down on the ice. Um, I, did, I, yeah, I didn't like that play either. The one play I was con- – like, the Matthew Kachuk disallowed goal at the end of the game. And we can talk about um, the guys trying to set up Ehlers for the hat trick oh. after that. But is that – like, does that hap- rule happen? Like, that kind of review where a guy high sticks a puck, like, you know, five to ten seconds before a goal, and then they – is that new? Like, I – have I forgot? I have not watched hockey in a long time. Because I was like, this is kind of like reminds me of offside review, which is like BS. I mean, if it was a high stick on the goal, I'd be like, yeah, sure, review it. But the high, like, are we reviewing that now? The high sticks, yes, 10 we seconds. Are. Is that yes, new? Yes, we are reviewing Where that. Where have now. I been? I, I believe that was the case last season as well. Where, you know, if there was an obvious something that would have caused a stoppage yeah. of play that then directly led to a goal, they'll go back and review that. But that was a change recently yeah. in the National Hockey League. But, hey, they got the right call. I mean, it was. But it was interesting to hear Maurice. And, again, you know, this is all in a preseason game. So the intensity, the importance of the game is nothing like it'll be in the regular season. Um, but he said afterwards on the program feed, it, he didn't get a view that, you know, would have maybe caused him to challenge that. Um, and, you know, maybe if anything for the coaching staff and the video crew, that is maybe a teachable point going in because, um, you know, hey, you can score goals a lot of different ways, but uh, a good challenge at the right time, you know, is one of the most powerful things that a head coach can do in the National Hockey League. And, you know, in a situation like that last night, if that wasn't the case uh, and they didn't have the opportunity to do, do that or the league didn't go do it because of the timing of it, um, it the onus is on the coach to make that uh, to make that challenge. And as Maurice said, Last night, you know, with the timing that you have to make that call and you want to make sure that you're getting it right because you're getting a penalty the other way if you make an incorrect challenge, that, um, you know, was a bit of, um, it wasn't the easiest call to make. But they did it because it was at the end of the game. That goes to the league. They did review it and they made the right call and the, the Jets end up winning, which then led to a empty net which was originally, who was it, Lowry? It was Cop. Yeah, they were all trying to set up Nikolai Ehlers. They didn't end up doing that properly. The puck ended up going back down the other way and giving up what was, uh, you know, a few nervous moments for Jets fans. But I'll tell you what, dude, I got home after the game. I hadn't checked my Twitter for a while. Yeah, I know. There was a lot of angry people going, Cop just screwed the puck yes. line. <laughs> 1.5. Andrew Cop is dead to me. Shoot the damn puck. <laughs> that's why that's why you don't bet on preseason. Uh, so I saw people on Twitter, you know, blaming, oh, I missed my Jets minus one and a half because he didn't <laughs> shoot it in the empty net. So, yeah, don't bet on preseason. And I think you, you got lucky last week. Not lucky, but that was, I'm one that and was oh, a good one bet. I'm 1-0 in the preseason. Yeah. That's the only preseason bet that I'm making. Uh, I'm saving it. I'm saving it for the weekend. Although I did make two bets last night, rather significant ones. I've been waiting for you know, the futures that I really wanted to, you know, to make a bet and have fun cheering for it all season long. Uh, I left there going last night, Nikolai Ehlers is scoring 30 this year, period. That's just, that's the way it's going to go. Barring injury, touch wood, he stays healthy throughout the entire season. So went on a cool bet. The over-under on Nikolai Ehlers for goals for the season is 28 and a half. Hit the over on that. And then I figured in the mood of this former BFF, Patrick Line watching Line go coast to coast last night against the Detroit Red Wings. 
I still can't get over what a low number it is for line A, and it's so much recency bias on the miserable season he had last year with Columbus, 19 and a half. Patrick Liney scores 20 goals in his sleep. I certainly think that will happen. So that one got a chunk as well. So every Ehlers and Line A goal this year will be celebrated uh, a little more vigorously from yours truly after getting in on that. And uh, we can talk a little bit more about some of the uh, props and futures available when we talk cool bet a little bit later on. We got a Thursday nighter, but uh, um, I think those are great bets, Remus. I mean, I think the Line A number is ridiculously low. The Ehlers number, while I love the over, I think people are paying a little bit more attention to Nikolai Ehlers because of you know where that number is. That being said, we know how important he is. We know the player that he's turned into. He's going to get so much opportunity to do that this year. Uh, I have n- tons of confidence that he can get to a 29 and hit the over on that bet. Yeah, we were while you were away, Brandon and I went through, and I saw, thought some of them were pretty low. I mean, you look at Ehlers' stats last year, and what people would say is um, – you know, redu- you know, he's probably going to get more ice time this year than last year. So he had, what, 0.45 goals per game. That's like 36 goals over 82. He had 0.53 assists, so slightly more. And he was basically point-per-game player, 0.98. So, I mean, if he's healthy for 82 and you think he's going to get more ice time than last year, uh, which I would say he probably should, but, you, I mean, you never know what could happen, especially with injuries. I would say, yeah, I would say he's a lock. Um to beat what 64 points now if you want to be the cynic and you want to i mean his career high is 63 as a 20 year old in 2016 17 but i think we can all agree that he is a different player so you're basically close you're basically betting can he stay healthy over 82 and he's had two full two seasons of 82 games he's had a 71 although that 2019 20 was a shortened season sorry and so, I mean, he's basically, for the most part, stayed stayed healthy. I think there, he had one injury, and some people may be worried. You know, he's a smallerish guy. He has had a broken, was a broken collarbone last year, but he came back and I mean, looked awesome, scored in the in the playoffs. So, uh, but yes, I would. So I don't think he needs to play every game to pass sixty five. That's the thing too. If he's a point per game player. Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, bottom line is, I think this is going to be a, a real breakout season for Ehlers if that hasn't already happened, at least amongst the the rest of the hockey viewing world. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, we'll be all over every Ehlers goal this year, even a little uh, a little more excitedly here on Winnipeg Sports Talk after last night. Hey, we're going to talk football with Marshall Ferguson, but uh, Remo, let's get to the big news of the day. Uh, Carey Price taking time away from the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, his wife put out a post saying that you know, Kerry needs to focus on his mental health. Um, I was on the Rod Peterson show earlier today, and Rod asked me about that. And, you know, my reaction to it, first and foremost, is concern for the person. I mean, Kerry Price is an icon of Canadian hockey. Um, he's a guy that has done so much for our country internationally. Whether you love the Habs or whether you hate the Habs, I think most people have a soft spot for Kerry Price, which is what a great player that he's been. And honestly, I think that maybe this shows that the hockey world is in a better place right now, that a player like this can take the time away, uh, can get the sort of reaction and the support that he's getting. Because I think in, in previous generations, this would have been looked at a little bit differently. Or the player might just never have even felt comfortable to take the time that he needs away um, to get where he needs to be mentally. So in the short term, this is a big, big blow for the Montreal Canadiens, and they've had a few this offseason since getting all the way to the cup final. Uh, But I think no matter who your allegiances lie with, 
I think everyone just hoping that Carey Price gets the uh, the help that he needs, takes the time that he needs to get back into a great spot and hopefully come back and be the star that he's always been for the Montreal Canadiens and, of course, be a big part of Canada's Olympic team going for gold in Beijing. Sure, and I, I can't imagine, um, you know, the pressure a guy like Carey Price is under. Has. I mean, you're a goalie on the Montreal Canadiens. Um, you're going, you know, you just had a knee operation and you know, you're working your way back and... I think you got to feel the pressure to you know be at your best all the time, and I think we're seeing more athletes coming out and saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm you know going through something. I need to have time off." We saw Jonathan Drouin last year step away from Montreal, and he said that he had uh, anxiety. Simone Biles in the Olympics, I think, was pretty notable, saying, "You know what? I'm not in the right headspace right now, and I I'm not able to perform at the level um, that I should be able to." And I think you know. Things like this uh, inspire a lot of other people, and you know, make it you, you know engages the conversation in in mental health, and I think that's something that we've seen more and more over the last couple of years. Yeah, I've seen a lot of nice comments for Carey Price in the chat. Jeff Kabilis, all the best to Price. Hopefully, he gets well soon. And, uh, and again, first and foremost, you got to think about the person. Um, and from a hockey perspective, you know, he's a very very important piece to the Montreal Canadiens, and of course to uh, Team Canada. Uh, Remo, don't let me forget to get back to this because I did have a funny back and forth with Rod today on the program uh, about the Canadian goaltending situation for the Olympics, potentially without price. Um, so let's make sure we get back to this because uh, it was, I've got quite a wager brewing with Rod Peterson going forward. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, before we get to our guy TSN Marsh, fresh off calling the game last night. Uh, do you want to thank our newest sponsor on board of the Winnipeg Sports Talk, Culligan Water. Stay hydrated, folks. I got a nice water bottle, the Ryder Cup, and now we're filling it with Culligan throughout the day. I do mix in the odd diet Pepsi. I think we all know that, but it's very important to stay hydrated for you and your family, and it makes such a big difference in your life. And uh, the Culligan folks over at 1200 Sergeant Avenue, family owned for 65 years, have been the water experts in our community well, for 65 years and counting right now, um, they've got it all. Water softeners and filters for you and your family. Um, the whole home drinking systems, drinking water systems for your spot, as well as bottled water coolers or even the coolers that are bottle free that'll serve out incredibly delicious clean water, both cold and hot from the same system. Water delivery services citywide, of course. The Culligan Man, always on your way with the good stuff. Um, and for commercial and industrial situations, they've got water solutions for you as well. Give them a call for any of your water needs, 694-5180, or go and visit them at 1200 Sergeant. Or for more information on everything that they can do for you and your family or your business, go online to drinkculligan.com. Um, again, we're uh, starting up a big weekend tonight in the National Football League. But uh, our guys over at Manitoba Battery are powering you going into the winter. Uh, Manitoba Battery, Donnie and the guys, they have batteries for everything when it comes to uh, automotive, industrial, power sports, farm batteries, sleds, skidoos coming up, and of course, maintenance and even MediChair batteries. If it needs a battery, Manitoba Battery has it for you at the best price with citywide delivery. And of course, that I mentioned yesterday, don't be that guy that waits till it's minus 35 to realize, damn, I need a new battery. Get it now. Be proactive. Avoid all that hassle. And speaking of hassle, you don't need to go to Costco or one of the big box stores. Manitoba Battery will get you the same battery at a better price delivered to you. 
and it'll save you the trip out to one of those big box stores. Give Donnie and the guys a call at 783-8787. They're at 1026 Logan, or you can see Manitoba Battery online at manitobabattery.com. Um, I saw a lot of Ehlers jerseys last night, and considering the performance that he had last night, that probably will be the number one seller for any of your Winnipeg Jets, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball merchandise needs. Royal Sports has you covered. The best selection for decades here in the province over at Pemina Highway. And while you're there, you can check out their award-winning hockey section with millions of dollars in inventory as well as bikes at the back, still have the camping equipment uh, and everything else when it comes to soccer, football. It's one sports superstar in Peg City. It's Royal Sports at 750 Pemina Highway. All right, let's talk a little pigskin right now. And our boy TSN Marsh, Marshall Ferguson, is back after uh, getting back in the booth last night. Marsh, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, Hustler. I'm good. I'm. Uh, I, I. You can tell I called a game because I still have a rolled up play-by-play chart uh, that somehow hasn't made its way into the garbage with a note on it uh, that was handed to me by Statsman John Pearlberg last night in the booth that says, "Pinball, all-purpose yards, twenty-five thousand four hundred thirty-eight equals." 23.3 kilometers <laughs> uh, so it's the one thing that i don't think i got to last night that he handed to me but yeah I, I have the proof i was there i did the thing last night it was great it was a lot of fun it was uh, fantastic to be back in the booth and uh, the only cfl games that i get to these days uh, are ones that i am in the play-by-play booth for and i love going to cfl games so it makes it that much more special well i mean that uh, we've loved seeing what you've been doing in the booth and all of your analysis uh you know over at cf perspective I, just before we get to the actual game, I, I have to ask you, because it has been a big topic. I mean, uh, how jarring was it to see how empty that building was last night? I mean, this is just, uh, you know, you think about the history of the Argos, what they were celebrating last night. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just a sad state of affairs right now for a competitive football team that just is getting absolutely no support in the GTA. Yeah, and they're fun. That's the thing that's most disappointing to me about the numbers there is they are 4-0 at home this season. Uh, I have been at two of their four victories, and each of their victories... It's, it's interesting, though, because that place is loud, and I have absolutely no idea how. And, and it's not crowd noise that's pumped in, because you would be able to sense that they were pumping in crowd noise irresponsibly, because you would... <laughs> you know, it's almost like if you're... Uh, uh, if, if you're wondering, you know, oh, why why is this uh, temperature so hot inside the house? And then you go to the gauge and you realize that somebody's cranked it up all the way. You're like, you would sense that pretty easily if they were doing something reckless. But I don't. Is it the roof? Is it the the building? Is it the? I don't know. Uh, but they somehow find a way to get some noise in there at times. And I don't think that really comes through on the broadcast because there are some really quiet moments on the broadcast. And I realize that when I'm calling games. Or when I'm watching on television, it's like, ooh, this sounds really barren. Uh, but the fan experience is pretty good for the most part, except, you know, the halftime show last night was essentially people walking around fixing divots, which was unfortunate. And I think they would have done something larger for the 1991 Grey Cup championship team if it were not for COVID. They had them up in the booth. They didn't want to go through the process of weaving through the concourse and getting down the field. I think there's some circumstances there that didn't really help the game experience that was put on. But in terms of game day operations, the Argonauts, I'm saying, they, they do what they can, uh, I think, and, and they've tried to try and build that thing up. But yeah, they, they don't don't get the support that they deserve because winning usually cures a lot of these things. And I don't think that we've seen that with them this year because obviously they're winning at home and they haven't grabbed people's attention. 
I, I don't have an explanation for it. I wish that they would get better support. I know that when when I would call Hamilton Tiger Cats games on radio for the last five, six years, that I would see when they would come in for Labor Day or a regular season game like they're going to coming up on Thanksgiving Monday here on TSN, that it, it would obviously, you know, you in a normal year, you'd have 26, 27,000 people inside the donut box in Hamilton. And it would be 22,000 people from Hamilton. But it was always nice to see that smattering of, of Argos blue that was in and around. And, uh, you know, even taking the GO train in yesterday uh, from Hamilton to Toronto to call the game, when I'm waiting at the train station, when I'm seeing people get onto uh, the train, there's a lot of Argos jerseys and they're new Argos jerseys. They're not like, oh, let's let's wear our Flutie jersey in or there's some vintage ones around and there were some people celebrating the 91 championship team. But it's disappointing because the people that love that team and that dedicate themselves to that team and that show up consistently and that care, they do it because they know they've recognized that the product is is fun. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that just don't seem to be getting that messaging. So how do you present that messaging in a better way and and give them a better opportunity to to latch on and understand? You get into the school, you do a lot of the things the Argos are doing, and it's they're, they're trying to find the right equation, as they've been for so long now, to draw people in. And my belief on the CFL, very longstanding, has been if you get them out to a game and it's a great, entertaining, fun game, they will come back. You just got to get as many people as you can out to a game and hope that you hook them. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's a big challenge for the Canadian Football League overall, as well as the Argos organization to try to return to some sort of relevance in the GTA. Because, uh, you know, the people that went there cheering for the Argos would have left happy. Although the Dinwizzle wasn't too happy with the offense overall. But, I mean, a credible defensive performance. And to be honest, I mean, I left that game going on. How the hell did Edmonton lose to Ottawa twice? I mean, that essentially is what I think of when I see these other games right now. But a bit of a market correction after... A pretty nice start for the rookie last week. Um, reality check against that Argos defense with all those uh, offensive plays going back into their own end zone. Yeah, what jumped out for me with Caleb Evans last night was, uh, and you know, as a play-by-play guy, I try not to be the color guy because that is Dwayne Ford's job, and I love working with Dwayne. And and but I, I do kind of see these things from a color perspective and. What I saw from Caleb Evans as I'm calling that game last night is, yeah, he's making mistakes, but man, are they easily correctable. Like, this is not something where uh, you've got, you know, uh, a young quarterback like, I don't know, Ryan Lindley in Ottawa or an Alex Brink in Montreal or insert name here of random, obscure, backup, third string, fourth string guy who gets thrust into the starter's role and isn't ready. I've seen enough from Caleb Evans over two weeks where I'm saying, I know what drills they have to do with him in practice to get him better. Like one of the things that jumped out to me last night that I, I actually didn't mention on the broadcast because I sometimes you feel like it's a little bit too niche football guy type stuff, but is he does not throw well quick release from the shotgun without the laces. And that's an integral skill that you have to have in the Canadian football, the Canadian football in general is you have to be able to rock and throw and get the ball out of your hands. And all that means is you take the snap and you lean back. As soon as you get it, you find your target and you rip it. You don't take a one step, three step. You don't, there's no drop. You're not under center, but in order to do that, you have to be able to catch the ball clean and release it with or without the laces. And the way that you improve that skill is something that I worked on when I was playing was you do a, basically a bad ball drill or a quick ball drill where your quarterback's coach, your offensive coordinator, your backup quarterback, whoever, as special teams are practicing on the field, you'll stand on the sideline, you'll line up with 
receivers and hook positions. You know, it's the the boundary wide receiver, the boundary slot, and then the field one, two, and three. You line them up across the board. You go five balls, and it's snap, rock and throw, bang, snap, rock and throw, bang. You look, snap, rock and throw, bang, and you go across the field, bang, 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 bang. It's rapid fire, and you get into this rhythm of sometimes I get the laces, sometimes I don't, but no matter what, I'm going to get the ball out of my hands, and I'm going to be accurate with it. On a couple of his interceptions last night, yeah, one gets popped up in the air, one he leaves way inside, which again is an easily correctable mistake. But that's a that's a small skill that you can train into somebody that I, I got a feeling he's never really been in a situation where he's had to just catch a snap, turn, fire. Because when he's playing at University of Louisiana Monroe with the Warhawks, he's probably somebody who's taking the snap and shotgun and taking a five step drop around the pocket or he's doing zone read and he's getting on the edge and using his athleticism and it's like no this is this is a skill you have to have in the cfl and i felt like that really hurt him last night being a little bit uncomfortable in that quick release game throwing the ball with or without those little things on the ball that are supposed to help quarterbacks throw with the ball and and so you know if he corrects that i think he probably eliminates at least one of the interceptions last night and that's an easily correctable Hmm thing that you can add to your skill set to move forward. You watch Calvillo, you watch Ricky Ray, Henry Burris, all those guys. They don't give a damn if they get the laces when they catch it out of the shotgun. And the ball comes out of their hand the same way every single time. And he's probably still used to the CFL ball a little bit too. So I just, I looked at his mistakes last night and I really just shrugged at them, Andrew. I really did. I'm like, I'm not concerned whatsoever about this. It was a correction a little bit, and I think he allowed the defense to get in his head a little bit. He was jawing too much with guys like Chris Edwards. Like, if I was playing quarterback against Toronto, I don't give a damn what Chris Edwards thinks of me. I don't give a damn what he's trying to do to me, what he's trying to say to me. Like, you do whatever you want to do, Chris Edwards. Hey, Shaq Richardson, you do whatever. I got to focus on myself. I got to focus on my receivers and my offense and executing my stuff. And he got into talking a little bit last night, I think. And then he allowed one bad play to snowball into two, into three. Oh, look, we're down 19. If he eliminates the snowball effect, if he throws the ball accurately on rhythm without the laces, I think that's a, like a basically a tie ball game in the fourth quarter <laughs> where he eliminates those big mistakes. So he's not far off. He's not. And even with that, I think Ottawa looked significantly better than they have previously. Yeah, Lapo's got a lot of work to do. They need more talent there first and foremost. But I mean, there have been uh, it, there have been some things who I think feel optimistic about. But it's going to mean a, a big roster overhaul, I would say, to get back to real contention in the league. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum and talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Hasn't been a great week here in Winnipeg, of course, with Kenny Lawler's uh, DOI arrest coming off of what was a career game for him. Um, but man, Zach Caleros, Marshall. Um, the way that he was able to throw the football for over 400 yards against the British Columbia Lions, um, just an absolutely amazing offensive performance for Winnipeg. The defense continues to get it done, holding BC at home to under 10 points, Mike Riley to under 200 yards, and the BC offense as a whole under 200 yards was, uh, I mean, if this was a statement game, the Bombers had made a number of them, but they did it again right now. How far is the gap, in your opinion, right now from Winnipeg and the rest of the CFL right now when you look at what has happened so far through eight games? When I watched them play against the BC Lions, I came to the realization that I am no longer going to be the guy who says, well, you know, there might be a, a chink in the armor here. No, there might be a problem. I'm not so sure. I was like, you know what? The remainder of the year, I'm going to pick Winnipeg as the team that's going to win everything. And if I'm wrong, I'll just bite the bullet. 
because I feel like that's the better way of playing this is I would, if I was a better, if I was doing props, if I was any of that stuff, I would just lean on them because they refuse to quit. And I'm actually looking forward to going back and, and looking at the game they played week three against Toronto at some point in the second half of the season. I've already lined it up with CFL.ca where I said, uh, hey, I have absolutely no idea how Toronto pulled off that victory against Winnipeg at home in week three. I was at the game. And even then it was just, hey, look, Toronto's running the ball all over Winnipeg. And you watch every game since then. And it's like, that's not a thing. So what did Toronto do that allowed them to get that victory? I don't know, but I can't wait to dive in and basically watch the game film really closely of that and try to determine, okay, if a team is going to beat Winnipeg, how are they going to do it? Because I don't think that it's throwing the ball 50, 60 times and emptying it out six wide every time. I think it's this formula that Toronto laid down in week three. Now, what is that formula? <laughs> because I think if you're every team in the CFL, you're probably saying, well, let's just do what Toronto did. Okay, but what is that? Because I think a lot of teams have tried. To, I think Saskatchewan tried to do that in the first game, especially in the Labor Day matchup. They said, oh, wow, that, that was just two weeks ago, right? Week three, it's that Toronto-Winnipeg game. Week five, it's Labor Day. And Saskatchewan tries. And I, I was looking at the run-pass splits the other day for Saskatchewan throughout the season. And one of their lowest pass play call percentages was in that Labor Day game because they're like, oh, we'll just beat them up up front. We'll do whatever Toronto did. Nope. Right? And they, they just they get beat up up front. And all of a sudden, you're chasing and you're throwing more than ever. And then the Banjo Bowl, you're throwing it more than you have the entire year because you're chasing the entire game. So... Saskatchewan tried to do what Toronto did, they couldn't, which is saying something because Saskatchewan's got some horses up front and they can run the ball when William Powell's healthy. I think everyone's looking at that and trying to say, well, what's the equation? What's the way we do this? How do we? Nobody's figured it out yet, Hustler. Nobody's figured it out. And I'm not sure that they're going to figure it out. So the, the gap to me is sizable. You know, if I were to put a number to it, I would say that you've got a couple of teams that are lingering as like a you know, zero to 10. They're, they're probably in that three, four range, I'd say Edmonton and Ottawa are kind of, uh, you know, they're at the back end of this. Then you got that middle class, I think, which is really broken into two tiers for me. It's kind of like Calgary lingering on the back end alongside maybe Hamilton and maybe Montreal being in there. And then the, the kind of upper echelon of the middle tier, I'd say is like your BCs and your Toronto's, your Saskatchewan's. And Winnipeg's Who's number by, two? Winnipeg's by himself. Well, for me, you know, I think Toronto has made the case to be that number two right now not just because of what I saw last night in person, but because BC had a very real opportunity to stake their claim over the last two weeks. I remember tweeting out at the end of a game to three weeks ago. I said, if BC is for real, they have two home games against Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, the two teams that are likely to be ahead of them in the West Division standings by the time we get to the end. And I just thought, why would you not want to have not only those two teams on your schedule to prove yourself, but those two teams on your schedule to prove yourself at home and to get your fans out and excited and say, look, we've got new ownership. Michael Riley's throwing the ball all over the place. Now come and enjoy our games, BC Lions fans, and see what we're about because this is a chance to prove to you we are not the old Lions. We are new. We are reinvigorated. We are exciting. We are throwing... And they just they lose both of those games. One of them, they choke away with special teams in the fourth quarter and Brian Burnham getting real frustrated against Ed Ganey and and Nick Marshall from Saskatchewan. And then that Winnipeg game was just utter domination the entire time. And what was really terrifying to me was in the fourth quarter of that game against Winnipeg, BC became the 2019 BC Lions. And I did not think I was going to say that at any point, but there was a stretch where they were throwing the ball 
90% of the time in the second half, and they give up four sacks over about 11 snaps. And I, that was reminiscent of the 2019 Lions, if I've ever seen it. So that's really concerning. So I think BC's been pushed down by the last couple of weeks. I think Saskatchewan, they've got some good things going for them. But Cody, the process there is not great offensively right now. And, and I don't love the way that that's unfolding for them. Hamilton is shockingly low in terms of so many offensive statistics and metrics that I just have a hard time having them crawl into that conversation. Yeah. And Montreal, Montreal gets the victory against Hamilton, but I don't think Montreal is a world-beating team because VA is still going to throw you a couple bad interceptions here and there once in a while like he did against Hamilton. So I, for me, it's almost like teams have played themselves backwards and Toronto really hasn't done it that much to push themselves down the line. They play well against Saskatchewan. They lose. Uh, they come home. They're 4-0. They get an opportunity to go into Hamilton and prove they can win there. And if they do, I think they're the second-best team right now behind Winnipeg. Uh, Marshall Ferguson's with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk, uh, talking uh, with three-down ball. I have to ask you, have you been uh, paying attention to four-down football south of the border as well? I've been trying. Uh, I have to admit, I, I am a red zone guy and I love it. I used to be sit on the couch and veg out and not move and, uh, you know, for seven hours and all the rest, like everybody else on Sundays. And this year has been really tough because I've been doing some work around the CFL for some various things. So by the time that I, I crawl through the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, late nights, doing games, cutting up film and all these things, then I end up getting to Sunday afternoon and it's like, I really just want to hang out with my son. <laughs> so uh, so I end up spending a lot of Sundays just like, hey, we're going to go on a four-hour hike today. We're going we're gonna to do that. So I've, I've tried, and I've been keeping up with things. Uh, but yeah, I've certainly, I've not been as invested as I would like to, which is a shame because, and this is the ironic part that I, I keep kicking myself for, is I've been a Bills fan my entire life. And the Bills, my entire life, have been trash except for the odd one or two seasons. Now the bills are unbelievable and blowing people out at an uncommon rate. And I'm not even watching the games to enjoy them. It's like I was there for the suffering. Now we have the reward. And I'm just like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm busy. I got a kid. I got to do well, other listen, stuff. <laughs> yeah, you better put the Bambino to bed early on Sunday night, though, because this yeah. game at oh, Arrowhead, yeah. Bills, Chiefs, uh, rematch of a playoff game last year uh, it is going to be phenomenal. And the Chiefs, this, I mean, as a Chiefs guy, this scares the hell out of me because the Chiefs defense has been Swiss cheese at times. Yeah. And, you know, even the game against Philly last week, you know, Mahomes was doing whatever he wanted to the Philly defense. Well, and they needed it. I mean, they gave up 30 points to the Eagles. And that game probably could have even been closer than it was, I guess, a 12-point game at the end. And the buzzsaw that is this Bills offense right now um, is something. Now, we can also say, well, who have they really beat? Who have they played? They've been killing some inferior teams. But to be honest, from what I've seen, and it kills me to say this, the Chiefs defense has sort of been on par with some of the defenses that have gone up against the Bills. And what does that mean for Sunday night in Arrowhead? Uh, really intriguing game and a hell of a matchup. Yeah, no doubt. And the thing that I, I grabbed this week because I didn't get to enjoy nothing blowout was they there was a seven minute video that I think I caught from the Bills website or their Twitter handle uh, which by the way the Buffalo Bills as a media member they sent me a gift to start this season it was like this little cooler mug thing they're like hey Marshall we know you're a Bills fan thanks so much for following along we hope you support us we can't wait to see what happens the rest of this year the other day I got a letter in the mail from FedEx for $18 from Pagula Sports and Entertainment I got charged shipping on this <laughs> gift that they sent me <laughs> 
I was like, you know Bills, what? what are we doing? You can't send me a gift that I didn't ask for and then charge me shipping across the border for this stuff. I'm like, that, that's not how that works. So, anyways, I DM the Bills. I'm like, hey, uh, any is this for we real? Can, uh, yeah, we can handle this. I'm, I'm like, guys, listen, I understand the football side of things is much better. This feels very mid early 2000s Buffalo Bills for you guys to send me a gift and have me try to pay the shipping on this. Okay. I'm like, there's some things in the background we got to shore up here. But, uh, but yeah, they, I caught this seven minute clip from uh, a mic'd up of Josh Allen and the love that he has for his guys, the energy he brings to the sideline. Even if you're a, you're a Chiefs fan like yourself, even if you just don't care for the Bills, you don't care for Josh Allen, I implore people to search out this clip because if you love football, you will watch this this seven minute clip of Josh Allen mic'd up talking to his teammates on the sideline, supporting them, being in the huddle. I played with a quarterback in university who was ahead of me, Kyle Quinlan, who was sensational, Heck Crichton Trophy Award winner in 2012, took us to back to back Vanier Cups, won the Vanier in 2011 as the starter at McMaster. On and on and on and on. The accolades are amazing. He was a big body guy. He could run faster. He could jump over people. He could throw the ball 60, 65 yards in the air. He's just an incredible talent. But the thing about Kyle is that he didn't have this like superhuman athletic ability to himself. He he also had this charisma that drove our entire team. And Josh has that about him where, yeah, he can do all the athletic stuff and he can make all the reads and make all the throws. But he has this charisma and this energy about him that is that X factor that takes your team from we're really good. We got a great quarterback and our offense is moving it to no, we're great. Because we all believe in each other. We all play for each other. We all, and I just think that that's one of those intangibles that if you have that as a quarterback, and unfortunately, I never did. Uh, but when I see it, I know it because I've experienced it with the guy that played in front of me and the Bills have that right now. So you're in trouble, Hustler. You're yeah. in trouble. Well, well, it's funny you bring that up because I think we can make some pretty cool comparisons between these two quarterbacks. And, yeah. you know, obviously Mahomes has won the MVP and Super Bowl and all that that, you know, Josh Allen is trying to do. But they're both superstar players. They both have committed to smaller markets in the league and have gone. And it's not just, hey, this is where I've been drafted. I mean, they have put their arms around those communities and made themselves a part of it and really accepted being leaders of prominent NFL squads, contending NFL squads at very early points in their career. And, you know, hey, we're here in Winnipeg, you know, Winnipeg, the the Jets, one of the smallest markets in the league. You know, we think about Green Bay and this may be a, a difficult comparison to make right now with what's happened with Aaron Rodgers. But there's something special about drafting a player, coming in knowing that, yeah, there are brighter lights elsewhere in the league, but, you know, wanting to be a part of these unique markets that really do live and breathe with their clubs. And it makes it when you get to the top of the mountain that much more special. And uh, I got to say, Josh Allen has done that. The mafia was already insane. uh, But now they have a guy that I think they truly believe in that can take them to that next level. And uh, Mahomes has already done it right now in Kansas City. But at his age, certainly Chiefs fans are hoping they'll see more of that in the future. Yeah, and the thing that I'm most excited about, and I also honestly long for in the CFL as well as we're talking about Caleb Evans in Ottawa and Dane Evans likely being the future quarterback in Hamilton and, and what is happening right now with Nick Arbuckle is up in the air in Toronto, but McLeod Bethel Thompson playing well is I'm always I always find myself jealous of the National Football League where when I see Josh Allen drafted and getting developed, he gets two years, three years, and then you get the confirmation, okay, let's go to your second contract after your rookie deal. And that second contract is usually a big one. It's a monster. And it's 
five years, six years, whatever. And if you're successful after that and your team still loves you, you get another three years, four years. Like the contract length on those, it's tough to fall in love with a franchise when the starting quarterback might be evolving all the time. And I love the way that in Buffalo, people knew as soon as they saw those flickers of hope from Josh Allen, oh, we have a quarterback. We have a quarterback going for it. Same thing in Kansas City. You get Patrick Mahomes, he makes a couple of throws, and you go, we have a quarter. And what that means when you say we have a quarterback as a fan is, I'm good for the next 10 years. Like yeah. my, my next 10 years is going to be based around this person. Where we will go from here, I'm not sure. There'll be lots of people that will come and go and transition and we'll draft more pieces that I don't even know about yet. But I know my team is going to be relevant because I have a quarterback. And when I see that for those NFL teams and I look at some CFL clubs, I'm like, man, it would be great if we could get to the point with CFL contracts, specifically with the quarterbacks, where you could say, if, if I have Dane Evans, I want people in Hamilton to be able to say, I have a quarterback and know that their next five years at minimum is going to be based around that person and that player. No doubt. Hey, Mars, this has been a great chat. Uh, fill people in on uh, what you got cooking over at CF Perspective. Yeah, we are at CF Perspective on Twitter and Instagram, cfperspective.com. Uh, lots of fun stuff coming out this week. We're doing uh, a lot of coverage around Canada West. Michael Still from out there in uh, Winnipeg is doing some Cam West coverage for us. We got OUA coverage uh, throughout the week leading into week four of Ontario University Athletics, their football season. Uh, a lot of upsets across the board. Seeing Calgary, the Dinos fall to Regina this past week was an interesting one, even though the Philpott brothers are still just the best players, it looks like, in all of U Sports football, most likely. But And then when it comes to CFL football, we'll be covering you all throughout the weekend. I'm putting up some target charts every Tuesday over there, every throw from every game across the CFL as I track that and try to understand what the heck these QBs are doing as we head towards the playoffs. So lots of fun stuff. And again, uh, you can follow it at CF Perspective. Marsh, thanks so much. Have a great weekend and enjoy that Sunday nighter once you put the Bambino down. I will, Osler. Thank you and go Bills. <laughs> Take it easy, dude. There it is. Marshall Ferguson at TSN Marsh. Great friend of the program and uh, one of the rising stars along with Dusty Nielsen when it comes to play-by-play for the three-down game. We're going to go from football back to the Pox Murata Tesh of the Athletic coming up. Speaking of uh, the ice, where we're going to go the pebbled ice, mentioned yesterday a couple big events for both the men and the women going on right now as the preparations continue for the Tim Hortons roar of the rings and the Olympic qualifiers coming up next month. Princess Otto, of course, a huge supporter of curling in our province, both professionally and at an amateur level and proud sponsors of the Mike McEwen squad, as well as Jennifer Jones. And uh, for all you folks that, you know, like a good project, like working on things, Princess Auto is the spot. You'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new at Princess Auto. Visit them online or in-store today. They'll help you make it work. Everything available 24-7 over at princessauto.com. Our friends at Little Brown Jug have making the most of this uh, blast of summer here already into October. I know they got some live music happening Saturday outside of the tap room. And they're also featuring a new fall beer, the Double, part of their limited edition launch. The Double is available at the tap room as well as online at littlebrownjug.ca. And there's still a few more cases of the summer variety pack. Every one of those right now ordered online or at the tap room, you'll get a $5 gift card for your next Little Brown Jug purchase. Uh, find out everything that's going on at Little Brown Jug. Hit them on Twitter at LBJ Brewing and on Instagram at Little Brown Jug for the latest happening with Little Brown Jug. And as always, 
always, you can find out all the information and order for home delivery at littlebrownjug.ca. Big Thursday nighter tonight, and we were just talking about the Sunday nighter. We don't have to wait for a great football game. Tonight, it's the Rams and Seahawks. We'll get to that in the cool bet lines a little later on. But if you're looking for a spot to gather with friends, to watch the big game with the big sound, no better spot than Boston Pizza. They'll have the pizzas, the wings, those ice-cold schooners waiting for you at your local BP lounge. Or if you want to take it home, you can hit them up online at bostonpizza.com. All right, let's welcome back Murata Tesh of The Athletic and chop it up after the Jets finished off the Calgary Flames in an interesting game last night and in a lot of ways somewhat of a dress rehearsal for next Wednesday's season opener against the Anaheim Ducks without Mark Shifley. Let's welcome in Murat right now. Murat, how are you, my friend? It's great to have you back on the program. What's going on? Great to be back. I'm doing well. I'm fired up. Just came from camp. Haven't seen you since before your Ryder Cup adventures, so I'm happy to talk Jets and then happy to see you again as well. Well, it's uh, it's all happening right now. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting time, and especially for Winnipeg Jet fans. And we've had a lot of conversations all summer long since the additions of Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon and Paul Stastny coming back that there justifiably was reason, you know, to think that this team might be able to take a big step forward. It's tough, tough to make any deductions based on preseason hockey. I get it. Uh, one thing, though, I'm pretty confident is that Nikolai Ehlers is ready to go for game number one of 82. Let's start off there with Ehlers' performance last night, Marat. I mean, the guy is spectacular. The guy is flat out spectacular. He has incredible pace. He transitions the puck as well as Connor McDavid, uh, Nathan McKinnon, Matthew Barzell. That's a specific skill set. I'm not saying he's as good as those first two players, but in terms of his transition game, you count entries and controlled entries and the chances to come out out of that. Nick Ehlers is an elite player. You see it demonstrated in preseason. Yeah, sure, it's just preseason. Sure, the defense isn't as tight. You could ask Ehlers' buddy Patrick Liney about that after the goal he scored about defenses as well. Um, But Ehlers flying through the neutral zone, teeing himself up, taking that shot, that's a bullet. Um, he's dominant on the Ehlers power play. We'll call it power play one for the time being, because that's how good it is. Uh, Schmidt and Morris here clicking there as well. But Ehlers is part of everything good that happens with that unit. He's part of almost everything good that happens at five on five as well. I think this is the season where, you know, beyond Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, who other teams game plan for and know about and are certainly established stars in the NHL. I mean, we know about Nick Ehlers. I think this is the year that the rest of the league finds out just how special of a player he is. Yeah, we'll get to the power play in a second. Uh, of course, our offseason conversations have also revolved around what's up with Pierre-Luc Dubois? What sort of a player does he come in, in to be? I mean, from my perspective, a pretty good camp. But knowing that he's going to be playing with Nikolai Ehlers, I'm not sure he could be in a better situation to get past last season and really start off well with with the guy that's going the way we saw 27 going last night. What do you think about those two team, those two guys playing together, um, and just your observations on uh, the man now wearing number 80 for the Winnipeg Jets? Yeah, first of all, classy move on Dubois' part to choose number 80 in honor of his friend, um, but also in terms of generating chemistry with the new team, right? I mean, he's learning to play with guys like Nick Ehlers. He's learning to play in the Jets system. Ideally, he's a step ahead because of good health and because he's having a full camp and full preseason, all of that. But I think about what could be a good situation for him. And if you're learning lessons about a new team, you want to be in as many good situations as possible. What be- 
better than a zone entry wizard like Nick Ehlers, where you're actually going to get more looks in the offensive zone, which means more opportunities to sort out when do you go here, when do you hold the puck on the wall, when do you cut back, when do you drive the net. He's going to be in the offensive zone more simply by having Ehlers as his line mate and also by playing on this version of the Winnipeg Jets as well that's transitioning the puck and has an improved defense as well. So I think we're going to have... I'm not predicting outright dominance out of the gate. I haven't seen that from Pierre-Luc Dubois quite yet. You know, I think he's a little bit quicker than last year. I think he's putting defenders on his back a little bit, and certainly he's a powerful player as well. But I think that the best thing that you could say about that partnership is it's going to put Dubois in good positions to figure it out. And maybe this is a slow burn of a year where he builds step by step by step by step. And, you know, by about midseason, we're looking at Pierre-Luc Dubois, and we're thinking, gosh, that guy looks like a lot like the impact player he was for uh, for the Columbus Blue Jackets for so long. I think that's the best case scenario. Well, uh, you know, while we're staying on Ehlers, um, let's talk about the power play because it was a little different and everything was different when Mark Scheifele's not in the lineup. And that was, uh, you know, a significant change and one that we're going to see in game number one. But it was interesting to see how the player, the the power play unit with Ehlers was working with both Schmidt and Morrissey on it. We've seen mainly four forwards and one defenseman on the jet power play units for the last couple seasons. This is the first time with the wrinkle involving Schmidt and, and Morrissey. But what I found interesting was the rotation on that power play, where a lot of times we'd be seeing Josh Morrissey ending up going down low past the hash marks, working around with Ehlers coming back in. Um, you know, again, we're going to see this count for real come, uh, come regular season time. But um, from what we've seen so far, what do you make up of that unit right now with Nate Schmidt coming in? And uh, do you think that will be the way we get into the season or is it still sort of a work in progress from your perspective? Well, from where I sit, early returns are really good with that unit. I mean, certainly the, the offense is there. You know, we we can watch them and, and, and the production, I think, is going to be there. But I think stylistically, there was some concern because Josh Morrissey had some a lot of time on the top power play unit last year. He's played a lot of power play minutes recently, and it hasn't always looked dominant from him. You know, I think last year was a, a bit of a struggle for him at that role at times. Um, and so there's a little bit of a question when you pencil him in immediately to one of the top power play units. How's that going to go? You have Nate Schmidt coming in, and he's new to the team. So how's that going to go, though? He's renowned a little bit for his offensive instincts. And I think what we found so far, and I'll take this right from day one of camp, Josh Morrissey has looked quicker and more assertive. I've said that a couple of times, and I believe it. Um, moving throughout camp as well, they worked on the power play often. And Josh Morrissey has done exactly what you said. He's ended up you know, at the face-off dot, essentially, below the hash marks. And he's found himself a little bit of an office there, where Josh Morrissey isn't the number one puck distributor on that unit, which I think is a good thing. He's worked on his shot instead, and he's been in practice, wiring bar down shots on any goaltender, including Connor Hellebuck, teed up by Nate Schmidt. And I think what Schmidt has brought is this quickness of decision-making. It gets on a Schmidt stick and off of it quickly and creatively. He's a shifty skater. He can move side to side. He's, uh, he's got a lot of head fakes as well. I mean, he often passes to where he isn't looking. There's just lots of deception from him. And you saw a couple of plays last night where Schmidt plays catch with Nick Ehlers and then fires a quick one-touch pass to Josh Morrissey. Or... Um, 
He's shooting into space on one-timers, but they're not blasts. They're for redirection from Paul Stastny. And I think Schmidt running things at the top, in addition to having the weapon that is Nick Ehlers, and in addition to Josh Morrissey picking a very specific role, that shot from that spot, and he's worked on it. Let me tell you, it looks good. This is a great version of the Josh Morrissey shot. I think they've all sort of found a niche, and the more that they can play with that, the more dangerous they can be. The more dangerous they are, the more chance it's the number one unit at times as well. Well, speaking of Morrissey, um, I, I really enjoyed at, at first off, uh, Dom decision does an amazing job with the athletic and he's made myself and a lot of athletic subscribers, a lot of money over the last few years with the number of his picks, because he has been killing it and he's got a great system and he's a really, really bright mind. But again, you know, when you're talking about every single team, you'll be right on stuff. You'll whiff on others. And I really enjoy your piece in the athletic kind of picking apart some of his predictions for the Winnipeg Jets. And one of the things you focused in on was Josh Morrissey And the decision has him basically painted as some ham and egger. You could replace with some guy off the street. I think we all know that that is not the case, but um, there is some recency bias in all of that. It hasn't been great for Josh the last couple seasons. But from what you've seen in this preseason, um, how optimistic are you that we see more of the Josh Morrissey that really shone early in his career playing with higher quality partners now that he's got some you know, solid dudes beside him, both on the power play, but especially at five on five? Yeah, I mean, context matters a ton, and that's what I put the bulk of that argument behind. And I, and I like the, the way that you frame Dom. I mean, he's right about a lot of things and his models have outperformed <laughs> That's Vegas. That's what scares me when he says something like that. <laughs> but like what... the, the game of predicting NHL hockey is chaotic and it's not about being right all the time. It's about being wrong less often than everybody else. Yep. And Dom is great at that. Um, and then as well, he has a, he has a humility to him where in the comments to his piece, he's saying, well, you know what? I am not on the ground in Winnipeg. I don't have the access and those sorted. So, you know, by all means, if there's more information out there, let's talk about it. And that's what I sought to do in that piece. And I think in Josh Morrissey, um, there is plenty more information. Uh, I, we, we all know that certainly he was dealing with the, uh, the health status of his dad and the eventual passing of his father, Tom, um, this summer. That may have an impact on the way that a player plays. I believe that it would, but that's difficult to quantify, and I really can't speak to that, what Josh would have been going through in that context. On the ice, we can speak to it in, in a big way. And what projection models do a great job of is figuring out what's important and making bets on it. They do it by leaning heavily on the most recent season and a little bit on two seasons ago as well. And then the further you go away in history, the less relevant that stuff is to guessing how good a guy is going to be. But what's happened in Josh Morrissey's two most recent seasons? He's gone from an assertive, communicative, top-flight partner in Jacob Truba, with which he had a couple years to, to get to know, to a rotating door, predominantly led by Tucker Pullman, who's a gamer and a good player, but who would only ever had success at a third-pairing level. The jump in competition from third pair to first pair is incredible at the NHL. There really is, for most teams, a division in top four and the bottom pair. Um, so that was a lot to ask of Tucker Pullman. And not only that, but I don't think that they had their uh, their wires exactly crossed perfectly in terms of their communication, in terms of their chemistry as well, which is a big deal. And your partner has a lot to do with your success. I think Josh Morrissey at times was guilty of trying to overcorrect, do too much for uh, for the fact that he had a less experienced partner than himself. Um, and as well, the Jets as a whole were spending so much time in their own zone. If there is ever a situation for a model to lean too hard at a player's flaws and the bad numbers that he's genuinely put up in terms of expected goals, all that stuff, it's Josh Morrissey going 
against top competition every single night. Not only with Tucker Pullman, sometimes with Dmitry Kulikov. Sometimes you see Ville Hanel or that one game where Sammy Niku was up there for some reason. Nathan Volu playing with, a, with an injured shoulder as well, a torn labrum. I mean, it was not a great context. And now to watch him play with Nate Schmidt, there's something else altogether. The Jets are playing a more aggressive system at both ends of the rink. Um, the, the puck movement is there. The communication is there. Schmidt's a communicator and assertive. Everything that I just said he didn't have in the past two seasons is there. Um, and Hus, I know this is a monologue, but the question you asked me was how optimistic am I? Well, Josh Morrissey is better than a replacement level top four defenseman in the NHL. <laughs> I can say that unequivocally at the end of this season, we're going to look at him as a guy who helped the Winnipeg Jets win games. Is he that top pair stud that we thought he might become based on his early years? I, I'm not, I'm not correcting all the way in that direction. I'm just saying a reason to be optimistic about Winnipeg is they didn't just add Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon. They added Josh Morrissey playing in a great context. He's put in the work on the summer as well. His shots off right now are, are on right now. He's going off right now. He looks good. I think he'll have a good year. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's just, I mean, it's apparent when you see him out there right now, I mean, there's a different confidence level with the partner that he's playing. And I think there's an aggressiveness that, just simply wasn't there. I mean, you spoke to some of the situations that he was in. I mean, a lot of times the air was on the side of passivity in that, you know, you just didn't want to be out of the wrong spot because you knew you were kind of pulling a lot of weight on the back end. Um, it seems like he's sort of freed up a little bit more to do it. And, and I think he's probably got a bit of a chip on his shoulder as well, because I mean, he's a smart guy. He knows that the results weren't there for all sorts of reasons, um, but knows that there's a big opportunity going forward to put all that in the rearview mirror starting next Wednesday in Anaheim. Yeah, exactly right. If you could cherry pick, you know, your ideal partner type for Josh Morrissey, I mean, maybe you just start with the Norris winners and that would be the truth for any player. But yeah. I think somebody as lighthearted, as assertive, as confident, as, as talkative on the ice as Nate Schmidt is, probably a great fit. And, you know, the puck moving and all of that, uh, you know, on top of that, I think there's a lot of reasons to think that should be a solid top four pairing this year. Uh, Murat Atesh of The Athletic with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. On Monday, uh, Murat had a great piece post-cuts on, you know, how everything is shaking out, the final battles for camp. And really, it's similar to what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Um, we knew it would come down to this. Uh, a small group of players fighting for that third line spot along with Adam Lowry and three spots on the fourth line. And, um, you know, Maurice basically said that he was in some ways telegraphing at least where his mind is right now with last night's roster without Mark Shifley and how that would change with Paul Stastny moving up. Um, but it was Christian Veselainen who was out there. Now, I know you had tweeted this out. Uh, did we come to a conclusion on the first goal? I mean, certainly I was in transit coming to the game late after something else earlier. Um, and it certainly was described like this was maybe Veselainen's best shift, took out two defensemen, got the puck to Lowry over. They strangely gave the assist to Jansen Harkins. I'm not sure whether that got changed later on. It didn't look like that was where the assist was. But um, let's talk about Veselainen's performance last night and where he's at in the mix um, to potentially start on the third line with Adam Lowry and what we've seen so far through the preseason. Yeah, I'll start with the goal. And I, I was I was of the mind, having watched it, that, you know, I don't know that he actually outmuscled anybody on the wall when there were two guys on him. And I don't know that he made that drop pass to Adam Lowry. Um, I do know that the goal doesn't happen without Veselainen on the fourth deck being in that position in the first place such that the second Flames defenseman can leave Lowry all alone for some reason and overcommit to Christian Veselainen. I mean, 
that's what happens when you genuinely believe that a player is a threat. And I think Christian Veselina was playing aggressively. He was forechecking. He was in on the wall, and he helped create that goal. I don't know what the end result is. We'll have to ask him at some point the next time we talk to him. Did he touch it? What was the play on that? Um, Harkins gets the assist because he was in on the forecheck on the other wall and I guess was the last player to on the Jets team to touch it. I'm not too sure. Uh, I will say that all three of those players had a role on the goal. All three looked strong. And for and it's an interesting situation. You know in a perfect scenario what they want from him. He's a big player. He can move reasonably well. He's not a burner. He's certainly not, but he's a big player. He has been known for offense at younger levels of play, especially in Finland. He's got a shot. And Paul Maurice is like Paul Maurice is tipping his hand in all sorts of ways. He told us flat out this version of the Adam Lowry line isn't going to be second over the boards after Mark Shifley like it used to be. It's not going to be matchup shutdown going against the McDavid's and Crosby's of the world, but he will use it against size wherever possible. He will use it in that context. And that's why Christian Veselainen is getting that first long look at third line right wing. At the same time, I think it's safe to say Jansen Harkins has outplayed him through camp so far. He's looked faster. He's looked more dangerous with the puck. He might not have the shot that Veselainen has, but he's putting himself in position to use his own shot and his own skills more often. And you saw that getting set up by Sveshnikov about a week ago at this point. So it was interesting for me to see them all on the same line together. Uh, and I thought that it was Christian Veselainen's best game because whether or not he touched that puck, he was in on the forecheck. Those three were looking pretty good. And I think we can expect exactly that trio of Harkins, Lowry, and Veselainen to open the season with Shifley's absence uh, on, on game one, in game one. Let's assume that Svechnikov gets his deal signed before game one. And I know there's some cap issues that you know may affect that when a contract is signed. But let's assume that for a moment. Is he in the top 12 for game one in your mind? In my mind, based on his performance, he is. Absolutely, he is. I have time uh, for the argument that he's actually been more impressive than Christian Veselainen, although we should be cautious that a lot of his production has come against that sort of AHL tweener uh, group as well. So it's tough to read into too much. But I think in terms of performance, he's earned a look in the top 12. The issue is if you're not giving him that third line role, which Paul Maurice has said he wants to be able to match up against size, especially Bob isn't you know, a, a large imposing player, uh, then from the Jets roster construction purposes, the only thing that's left is fourth line right wing. And I don't know that that's the skill set that Paul Maurice or, or anybody really has envisioned for that that trio. You know, I think Jackson Harkins is a lock. I think Riley, Riley Nash, Nash, pardon me, is a lock. He may even see some third line right wing time as the season goes on if Paul Maurice is looking for that veteran. And then it's between... Toninato, who has done some good things. Svechnikov, who's definitely done some good things. I don't think David Gustafson's in that mix anymore. It's tough. I I envision, you know, Svechnikov in the mix, to be sure. He's earned that look. But if the Jets sign him to a you know an AHL deal off the hop, maybe the plan is for him to be as close to an elite offensive talent as possible for Cole Perfetti to be playing with with the Moose this year. Well, that that is interesting, and and you know, it's the addition of Svechnikov. I think you mentioned David Gustafson, who kind of throughout camp has never really seemed to you know get his head above that fifth line spot where he sort of is scheduled in right now. But I will say this: if there's a if there's the potential that Riley Nash moves on to that third line, I think all of a sudden the opportunity for Gustafson maybe to be in the mix a little bit more, but. I don't think from an organizational perspective, they're thinking that the best spot for David Gustafson is to be a 13th forward to be spending a ton of time in the press box. 
Yeah, exactly right. And I think that, you know, you're right to point at the lines that he's played on. I think he's played well in camp, but you you don't shine when you're playing with AHL veterans uh, against players of that same caliber. I mean, when you end up with Harkins, Perfetti, and Sveshnikov going to town against some of the tweener-level competition that they did, you, you can imagine... Uh, that the opposite of that is true when you're playing a little bit lower down the depth chart. And Gustafson has never escaped from that. I think it's a tell. Paul Maurice has also said about Gustafson that he he does look for more minutes for him, and that's probably going to be in the AHL. I thought heading into camp that based on his AHL excellence so far to his career, Gustafson might be in the mix for a fourth-line center job, maybe even if everything went perfectly for him that third line right wing job because he's still just defensively sound. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think he's your matchup center uh, in the AHL as much as possible. And, you know, for one more year, I think that's an acceptable, uh, acceptable look for the player. I believe in players playing big minutes until they're simply too good for them. And, and I think he's right in his wheelhouse if he does that this year. It was interesting to hear coach, I believe it was yesterday, speaking about the players that are with the team right now, saying all of these players are going to be play games for the Winnipeg Jets at some point this season. And of course, Cole Perfetti's part of that group right now. Um, I make no conclusions about what will happen later on in the season. There's so many things that can happen with injuries, with play, all of that. But short term, next couple weeks, including the opener without Mark Shifley, what do you think happens to Perfetti? Is he on the roster at that point? Does he play a game early in the season? Or will he start the season, do you think, with the Manitoba Moose and be there for a call-up when the situation arises? Well, step by step, like the first issue is that day one roster. And I think the deadline for that is Monday. And the day one roster that Winnipeg files doesn't have to be what they play with against Anaheim that later that same week. But it will be about maximizing LTIR, getting as close to the cap, you know, as close to the cap plus Brian Little's contract as possible before putting Brian Little on LTIR. All of that roster rigmarole will impact that first you know, the, the, the last cuts that we see in the first roster that we see officially. Then moving the next step into that game one. Well, now it's kind of interesting because without Shifley, I mean, I know it's, it's it's perfectly likely we see exactly the lineup we saw last night against Calgary. I mean, Paul Maurice tipping his hand as well. But it's, there's a chance that we see Cole Perfetti draw in at that stage. There's a chance that we see Cole Perfetti at some point over the next week or so. I think that he will play his first NHL game this season. And I don't think that he'll stick around for an extended period of time because, you know, the number one center, or at least the number one offensive center job, is right there for him with the Moose. No matter, you know, I mentioned Sveshnikov earlier. Even if it isn't him, Manitoba's stacked this year in a way that it hasn't been for a little while. And Cole Perfetti will be able to put himself in all sorts of tough situations, playing with good finishers, playing with, uh, you know, highly talented players. And if the Jets see him as a long-term center, which I still think that there's a chance, as opposed to him being shoved off to, to, to left wing, which I'm sure is a, is a realistic possibility, well, then what better situation than to play big minutes, all situations as much as possible uh, with the Manitoba Moose, which is going to be an excellent, possibly even a Calder Cup uh, contender this year. I, I think that's where we see. We're going to see him play for the Winnipeg Jets, but, I, but we'll see him play more for the Moose. Hey, uh, the one guy we probably don't talk about as much as we should because he is um, about as reliable as uh, death and taxes as Connor Hellebuck in the net. But I do want to go back to your piece on Dom's predictions because as much as Jet fans may have been nervous when they saw you know, his thoughts on Josh Morrissey and what we've talked about before, 
His predictions for Connor Hellebuck should absolutely get Jet fans. Can you dive into a little bit about what Dom has to say for the upcoming season for number 37? Well, first and foremost, there's no way around it. He has Connor Hellebuck as literally the best goaltender in the planet this season. And I think that that's entirely possible. I think that what we've seen from him over the past three years, I mean, from, well, from Vezina finalist status in 27-18 all through, I mean, his Vezina win, even last season, I know the state percentage went down, but we saw the defense, right? We saw where the chances were coming from. We saw what quality there was. And so when you're using a model to project goaltending, the first thing to acknowledge is that goaltending is a mad science. Nobody has it exactly right and perfect. The second is you start looking for things, and it's more than just goals against average. That's an ancient stat. It's more than just save percentage. Now they're trying to use quality of shot to estimate how good these guys are, expected goals, that kind of thing. And Dom's model leans heavily on expected goals. We know that Winnipeg gave up a ton of shots from high danger areas last year, the center slot. We know there were a lot of opportunities. We know there were a lot of rebound opportunities. Those pucks weren't getting cleared. So Connor Hellebuck for the last few years has saved more goals than he should have um, time and time and time again, Expect, especially if you use the mathematical models, which makes him look like literally the best goaltender in the planet. And I think that that is a realistic assessment of what he's in contention for this year, but it's also going to be a different ballgame for him. We saw it against Calgary last night. There are going to be long stretches of where he doesn't face a shot. There's going to be a different game for him to play. Um, I think he's going to be in contention for best goaltender of the NHL this year. Uh, Dom assumes, based on the amount of expected goals that Winnipeg's given up and the amount of saves that he's made, he'll be the best one. Well, there's a little bit of error for that. It could be Vasilevsky. It could be anybody. Um, And I guess what I say, if you're looking at it from a model projection, you're looking at Dom's projections. Well, he undersells Josh Morrissey a bit in my mind. So, okay, maybe add a little bit to what he says the Jets should be able to do. But it's a bold claim to say best on the planet for sure in goaltending where anything can happen, any bounce can happen. So you might shave that down a little bit as well, depending on your confidence levels. The one thing is, if that's where your starting point is, possibly the best that there is, it's just another feather in the cap of, you know, a great goaltender and one who could be that great. Hey, I know we've talked a lot about some of the numbers and some of the interesting um, contexts of the Jets going into this season. This is one that I don't think we can look to any numbers, but I'm interested in your perspective on it, Marat. For players like Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers, Connor Hellebach, as Connor Kyle Connor, even Blake Wheeler, how do you think the prospect of going to the Olympic Games will affect, if at all, um, what we see from those players individually, as well as teammates, you know, in the first 30, 40 games before everyone either makes the team or doesn't make the team and goes off to China? Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I think I'd have to take it one by one. I, I think Nick Ehlers is just going to play his game. I, I, I have a hunch he's going to make Team Denmark no matter what happens. <laughs> fingers <But> crossed. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I mean, fingers crossed. Blake Wheeler is probably not a mortal lock like he used to be. I mean, the last time that, you know, NHL players were at the Olympics, he certainly would have been. He would have been one of the best five-on-five players in the world. And I think USA should have used him a little bit more, if I'm being honest. But we, we shouldn't tell them that Canada uh, Canada obviously won. Um, so I think he's in a unique situation where he's on the cusp for the first time. And I think he probably makes that team. But I don't think he needs to play outside of himself at all to put himself in contention. If he stays healthy, if he gets back to having a reasonably good defensive impact, as he usually does until last season's issues, 
Um, I think that who he is and his stature, what he's accomplished, will speak for itself. Kyle Connor, that's an interesting one. I think that based on the offense alone, it's you know it's hard to keep him out of consideration. I've seen lineups that leave him off, and I, and, and I kind of laugh at those. If you look at the offensive production for the American-born players, it's tough. But Paul Maurice has said the goal for him this season, the goal for Kyle Connor is not just produce offensively, but give back a little bit less. And that's going to be a team focus for the Winnipeg Jets. If it goes well for the Winnipeg Jets, it will go well for Kyle Connor's reputation in terms of making Team USA. But the one that fascinates me is Mark Scheifele. You know, when in his life has he ever not been a mortal lock for a team? And, you know, when Team Canada is so good as it is, and there's a genuine chance, I think I've seen more rosters have him outside than on, on the team, that he doesn't make it. Well, how does that Im- impact his psyche? And I think that for him, the wheelhouse of making that team is exactly uh, the wheelhouse of improving the Winnipeg Jets. It's that same focus playing that 200-foot game, making that extra back check. I asked Paul Maurice about it today, not using Mark Stifley's name. I said, can, can you talk a little bit about players who in their mid-20s, early 30s, whatever age it is, who have been offensive stars, uh, transform into realizing how important uh, the 200-foot defensive game is? Because I think that that's exactly his goal for Mark Shifley, is getting to a point where those shift lengths are going to come down. And hopefully a season like this with so much on the line, you're going to see the best, most committed Shifley that you've ever seen. That's the best case scenario. And I think there's a perfect Venn diagram of if it works out for Shifley, it will work out for the Jets. And if it works out for both of those teams, it'll work out for Canada chances as well. Because he's not on the number one line with Nathan, or with Nathan McKinnon. I was going to say, what about Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby? You know what I mean? He's not going to get cherry minutes. He's got to prove that he can do it all. And I think this is his best season to do it from a Jets perspective, too. Hey, one more for you. And this has been a lot of fun. Speaking of Olympics, um, you know, sad news about Carey Price earlier today taking a a leave from the team, dealing with some mental health issues. I think that, you know, maybe this would be received very differently 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, but where we're at knowing about mental illness, I think it's been great to see the support for Carey Price. I think Carey Price is a lock for Team Canada if he is on, if he's playing and in a good spot, and we all hope that that will be the case. But let's take Price out for a minute, and I'll put you on the spot. Um... Who's your starter in net for Canada? And, and I mean, if you ha- do you have a ranking of players? I mean, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury won the Vesna last year, and it's been a big topic. Many of the young goalies that we thought would maybe kind of announce themselves in the contention didn't. Um, but, you know, you've got Carter Hart, Jordan Binnington, uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, although he's out because he won't get the vaccine, so he can't go. We can kind of take his name out right now. Um You know, if you had to tap, again, taking Price out of the equation, he's on the team and could very well be the starter if he's there and if he's healthy. After Price, how do you rank the Canadian goalies as of right now before we start the season? I mean, that's a great and suddenly incredibly important question that (laughs) I cannot even begin. This is something I should be looking at because I agree with you to hear you frame it like that. There was supposed to be that next generation by now, you know, Carey Price prior to the playoffs that he just had, you know, I think that we've seen him age like a mortal or at least occasionally play like like one as well, as opposed to, you know, being the best goaltender on the planet as he had been for some time there. And every player that you mentioned seems to have a question mark, whether it's Hart, 
he spent so much time this summer trying to retool every element of his game. I was reading all about it in 32 Thoughts. I think it was by Elliot Friedman that that's where that's in my head from, but also from Charlie O'Connor in Philadelphia for The Athletic. He was like the um, worst goalie in the league last year. Like by numbers alone, he had an 877 save percentage. I mean, he couldn't get it going. And and I mean, he, of all the goalies, I think he was the guy based on the previous two seasons he had coming into the league that everyone thought, would be even if he was the third goalie, he'd be there solid and they, you know, might give him an opportunity. Um, based on what we saw last year, he's not at that point. Now, there's a lot of hockey to be played before they have to make those decisions. And I think Flyer fans and Canadians fans, uh, Canada fans, would hope that he gets back to it. But there's a lot of work for Carter Hart to do, in my opinion, before he's even in the conversation based on what we saw for the entirety of last year. Absolutely. I mean, if I'm Team Canada, I think. You know, we saw that they made the first three announcements of Peter Angelo, Crosby, and McDavid. I think I'm saving goaltending for the last possible minute this year because you want to see if Hart can reclaim his game. You want to see if Marc-Andre Fleury can do what he just did with a much less prolific defense than, than that of Vegas. You want to see if Jordan Bennington can reclaim his uh, his stature that he had not incredibly long ago as well. And I'm sure that there's even goaltenders. You know, Canada has, you know, we're not at, you know, one and Brodeur status right now, I think, but we've produced enough throughout the NHL. There are guys that could go off in any given year and maybe the play, unless there's something obvious that I'm missing, which is possible, you know, is to wait a, a few months and see who is on fire because goaltending is tough to predict and project. Even the very best ones have off years and, you know, Canada, if, if there's a volume approach to it, then maybe there are guys who, will storm out of the gate and are looking brilliant by December, January. Well, you know, an interesting name that, to be honest, was not really on my radar. Um, And frankly, I didn't even know what country he was from, but is Darcy Kemper. And I mean, Kemper, you want to talk about an opportunity to play a lot. I hear Francois got injured again and is going to be out for a month. I mean, they are so invested in Darcy Kemper. And you want to talk about a guy that's going to have plenty of opportunity with lots of eyes on him to show that, you know, he's able to be the guy between a, behind the, a solid squad. It's going to be him in Colorado um, because, you know, presuming that he stays healthy, he'll probably be playing a Connor Hellebuck-like workload or winning his fair share of games. And you know that will help him big time when it comes to Team Canada looking at, you know, who's getting the job done right now in the National Hockey League. doesn't hurt to be playing behind a team like the Avalanche. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, a juggernaut, which you expect Canada to be. And then Kemper's level has been incredible. I didn't know which country he was from either, if I'm being honest. You know, um, I... I have seen him dominate and dominate and then get hurt and then dominate some more and then get hurt. Kind of reminds me of Antti Ranta a little bit in that way um, where they can be just so good for an extended period of times and then they're just missing. And I guess that's another one where you kind of have to watch and see if he, if he stays healthy. I, I really, I think that this is what my, I mean, I have to do some writing. I got to be honest. I think that's what I get paid to do. Like what puts money on my plate, but I think that's a little internet rabbit hole. I'm going to have to go down later today. Well, this Canadian Olympic team is going to be the gift that keeps on giving to those of us in the content business because, uh, you know, there's very few hockey fans that you don't just bring up the topic and it spurns a whole bunch of other conversations like we just had. Marat, this was awesome. It's great to have you back on the program. Um, Just quickly, what did you see at practice today? I know Logan Stanley was back on non-contact jersey. Uh, Anything else of note or a pretty uh, run-of-the-mill skate after a game day? Yeah, it was, it was short. It was to the point. A lot of special teams work. 
Uh, my seat in the stands was right behind Blake Wheeler on the half wall. And I just got, I think this isn't news to anybody, but I got a ton of appreciation for just the amount of sticks and lanes that he has to navigate if he's finding Mark Shifley across the ice. And now I started to wonder, you know, if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois in the middle and you've got, you know, a, a PK forward behind you and in front of you and you're in the way kind of as well, Blake Wheeler's making that shot. From my perspective now, I'm like, I wonder what that guy can do to eat checks, knock sticks out of the way and, and otherwise make that cross seam pass you know, a little bit more dangerous at a slightly higher rate because we know how well that pass gets finished by shooters like Mark Shifley. So that's what's in my head today. It's not news. I, I think everything else is as expected. But just to see it from not exactly but close to Blake Wheeler's perspective, I, I have a whole new respect for how many like tiny holes he has to find to make that pass. Well, one more preseason game, and then we get down to business next week, Wednesday night in Anaheim, game number one of 82. Looking forward to many more chats like this with you coming up. Uh, thanks, as always, Murad. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. At WPG Murat, that's Murat Atesh. And if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic already, what the hell are you waiting for? Uh, just great content, both on the Jets for Murat, as well as the National Hockey League and so much more. You can find it over at theathletic.com. All right, we are going to hear from Coach Paul Maurice. We've got that audio ready, so we'll do that in just a second. Uh, do you want to give a shout out to our friends over at Not Autocorp? And as I mentioned, yeah, not to do the big name drop, although... Well, I guess I did do an Instagram post of it yesterday. Pretty fired up to see Milt Stiegel. He was back in town, HSC Lottery today, yesterday, doing some filming for a new TV spot for Not Autocorp. But what was really wild was getting a chance to get through the renovated Not Autocorp Center. Um, to be perfectly honest, half the building looks like an Earl's or something like that. Incredible booths. They got a basketball spot. I mean, uh, It'd be a good just place to go just to hang out. We'll have to do a show there at some point. Uh, but the vehicles that we got a chance to see were absolutely incredible. If you're thinking about a new ride before you do anything, check out what they've got going on over at Waverly and McGilvery at Not Autocorp. You can find out more online, as well as the grand opening of the Winnipeg Car Lab, uh, which the guys were hard at work doing wraps, tinting, rims, and so much more. Uh, it's all there at Knot. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knot team? See them at Waverly and McGilvery or online at knot.ca. Uh, you know, it's not quite the weekend, but Thursday to some is sort of a, a start of it. We've got a great football game tonight. We'll get to the cool bet lines a little later on. Uh, but whether it's tonight or whether it's tomorrow at the game, no better way to christen the weekend than with a delicious Canadian club whiskey, maybe with ginger, maybe the Coke, or the uh, the triple C that we invented yesterday on the show. You like the Ryan Water, the Canadian club, and Culligan. Uh, you can put that together with a few of our great sponsors. Uh, all being said, Friday night, Bombers, they are the official sponsor. Whether you're at the Jim Beam Stillhouse, at the Brugal Rum Hut, or anywhere in IGF, the Great Taste of Canadian Club is waiting for you. And you can also pick it up at your favorite local Manitoba Liquor Mart. And make sure you're with us tomorrow afternoon towards the end of the program. Another highly popular Friday Marble Race. We've got some great product for Canadian Club and... We'll give away our first co-branded Winnipeg Sports Talk hoodie we did with the Canadian Club folks. So don't miss that on tomorrow's show. Join us live on the YouTube stream in the second half of the program. And I did see my guy DQ Nick pop in. I'm not sure whether he's still here, 
going to the game with Nick tomorrow and the Canadian club folks. Looking forward to that. Uh, but I know they've been busy at the four Nick and Nicky DQs this weekend. Maybe a little busier than you'd normally be at the beginning of October because it seemed like the middle of summer around these parts, whether it's the DQ in Neverville, DQ on Northgate, DQ at Polo Park, or DQ St. Anne's, all the Nick and Nicky DQs are ready to serve you with the great taste of blizzards, those amazing ultimate grill burgers, chicken fingers, and so much more, not to mention take-home treats and the best ice cream cakes around. You can order one or find out more online. Get it ready to go for pickup at DQ Manitoba on Instagram. All right, Remo, we're going to get to the uh, cool bet lines a little bit later on. Do want to talk to you about that walk-off homer in the wildcard game last night and the way the uh, American and National League playoff series shape up, uh, which some of them get going today. But first off, let's hear what Jets coach Paul Maurice had to say post-practice. Had a great uh, chat with Murat on the Jets. We'll hear from the coach. We'll sort of wrap our Jets talk and get to the Lions, a little bit of baseball and more before the end of the program. So here is Winnipeg Jets head coach Paul Maurice from earlier today. Oh, we'll get to the coach just about right, right up. Two weeks in the camp, I haven't seen the architect of your power play, Jimmy Pompon. Is yeah, and, and first, I know some of you know this, uh, appreciate the respect for his family's privacy. Tina Compon's been battling breast cancer for uh, over six years now, and, um, and things changed a little bit there about three weeks before camp. They're uh, going to kind of have a new challenge that they're battling, and it just... Uh, they need to be in LA with their doctors, and Jamie needs to be there. So the, uh, the positive is there's a hope, and there's a plan, and they're uh, dealing with that daily. So he will remain with Tina um, until things change. So again, I, I, pr- I appreciate the fact that there weren't a lot of questions on it. I know, I know a bunch of you already knew that, uh, where Jamie was and why, and, and we're all aware here um, of Tina's challenges over the last uh, six and a half years. And you know what, I talk to him every day, and we talk an awful lot of hockey. And he's as passionate about it, maybe even more so, because he's not here and it's driving him nuts. And uh, the players are calling him too, so he's had a lot of contact here. You know, try to keep that family support so important. But thank you, uh, all of you, for being so respectful of that. I appreciate it. You're going to be in the LA area. Are you going to see him coming up on the bench in Anaheim if everything is uh, is set up? If it, if it works, that's he'll be back in running the meeting and. He does all the work anyway. He does all the video. I mean, that's the, the technology that we have now to send video back and forth. Uh, he, yeah, work ethic is not an issue for the man. He's, he's, uh, he's putting in a lot of time still on the hockey, and, and it's good for him, I guess. And, uh, but he'll be in Anaheim and on the bench. I heard something from your goaltender that was interesting today. He said that there is a, there's work to be put in mentally, physically, when there's a chance that he might not be as busy in games as he usually is. How do you feel about that? Well, I hope that's true. I, I mean, that's the goal, right? We'd love for him to get bored in the net some nights. Um, and there's some truth to that. There's a stat out there, and I don't, I don't know this is an old one, but you got to take a look at Mike Richter's win-loss record when he faced over 40 shots. It's incredible, right? He just would get into a rhythm on high-volume shots and win. So I think when you get a lot of action, especially uh, early, to get into a rhythm, you get really focused, really sharp. And then if you don't, that's tough, right? You get three shots, and then if some of them, if they're not dangerous, you're almost looking for action, right? You're trying to find a way to stay sharp. But 
I hope we get to that. I would, I'm not going to put a whole lot of... Uh, it was one exhibition game, basically one period, and I think we played pretty well. I'm not sure they were at their best, so I think that changes Saturday. But that's what we're shooting for. We, we think we've got a blue line and, and some maturity up front that we can be tougher to get to the net on. Paul, oh, are there going to be more nights like we saw last night? And then again, keep in mind, it's a preseason game, it's early, but you know, they got 18 through, but they don't get 33 through. Yeah. Uh, is that part and parcel with what you're trying to do? Yeah. The, uh... It's not a direct line, so we don't walk in and say we're not going to give up any shots and we're going to become this defensive juggernaut. I don't think that that would utilize our talents. We, we, we've got some speed up front, we've got some skill up front, and on the blue line as well. But there's enough experience on this team that we can show an interest and heart and, and compete when we don't have the puck. And that takes a little bit of maturity, right? There, when, when you're an offensive skilled player and you back check real hard to save one, it takes a couple years to convince them that that's a good thing so we think so uh, um, I've liked our camp like I said we last night was the first glimpse of close to our team it's exhibition and those games lie to you all the time right so I'm not getting too far ahead of myself but I liked our game you say sometimes it takes a couple of years I'm just wondering I mean you coached for a lot of years can you think of any really good examples of players who you know in their mid-20s or 30s or whatever player hits that peak really discovered the value of that two-way. Yeah, I mean, how about all of them? Like, like any, any good offensive player that, that ends up on a good team gets to that point. So Eric Stahl would be the first young player, and he didn't cheat the game. It's just the value of playing both sides of the puck emerged and grew. I mean, it was just face-off numbers, right? He went from coming into the league at 38 to 42% and then became a real dominant face-off man. So all of the small things that you need to have to be a good defensive player. Some of it's just awareness of how darn important it is because at 21, 22, it's never had to be important. Somebody gave you a lot of money, so you must be doing it right and you don't really need to change, right? Like, the, what's the... The, the fourth line guys figure that out because they don't get a lot bunch of money, and if they don't figure it out, they don't get to play. So those guys figure it out earlier. Um, but that maturity level comes from when you get to the point that the team result is is you know very very important in your mind, not not necessarily your own points. Right? That winning the game is more important than you getting points. Well, you, and I don't know if you've heard about the carry price. Yeah, and, but I, I'm, I'm asking because you've talked about last year and how I guess you became more insightful on mental health or just that, aware, right? But is there anything you can say about well, you don't know what's happening? Obviously. I have no idea, and I'm almost always happy to hear that for a couple of reasons, and one is. Whatever challenge, and I'm not speaking specific to Kerry Price, because I've had players that went, went into the program. And I mean, those are real challenges. It has nothing to do with your bank account. They're real challenges. And the day they go in is the first chance to get help. And that's just a really, really good thing. And then, if we do this right, as a society, I believe, the kid that's got the Kerry Price jersey who's 12 isn't going to look at Carey Price like it's, it's a ba- he's a bad guy. It's that he's a courageous guy and that for himself and his family went and got help. So that's our responsibility now that, that Carey Price is looked at as, as a courageous leader. 
he's got a challenge that he's dealing with, and, and, and because of what he does for a living, it's public. So that maybe the kid with the Carey Price jersey, we still want him wearing it the next day, right? That's, that's the goal. So that it's not bad and it's not a stigma. I'm happy he's getting help. I'm sorry that he needed it, but I'm really happy that he's getting help. There's Coach Paul Maurice from earlier today. And uh, just first off, I'm you know, seeing a ton of comments in the chat based on uh, what we just heard from the coach. But um, a lot of people just uh, expressing uh, their thoughts uh, for uh, Jamie Compon and his wife, Tina. Uh, the coach mentioning that um, she's had a pretty lengthy um, bout with breast cancer and they're down in California right now. But it is great to hear that uh, if all goes as planned, Jamie will be on the bench with the club when they do get things going in Southern California next Wednesday against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, but, you know, understandable why uh, where Jamie is taking care of family first right now and obviously has uh, the full support of everyone there with the Winnipeg Jets and certainly amongst Jet fans here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, we do want to get to the Cool Bet lines. I see Larry uh, asking in chat, what's the amount on Cool Bet we need to deposit to get the promo? Uh, I think Remus had mentioned, I think there's a minimum deposit of 10. The bottom line is on whatever your first deposit is, they'll double that up to $200. So you want to put in the full 200, you'll get four. If you want to put in 100, you'll get two. Uh, and I think you got to bet it through twice or three times to to, to pull it out. But um, yeah, if you want to get on some of those props that we talked about, uh, the Ehlers over goals and the line A over goals, as well as any of the others, it's all there. We'll spend a little bit more time on futures in the last couple of days before the beginning of the regular season, but it's all there right now at coolbet.com. Well, speaking of coolbet, we may as well get to that. And then we'll get uh, Remus and I will uh, discuss the uh, baseball game last night to finish off the program. Uh, we got a Thursday nighter tonight. This game has been all over the place. Opened at Rams minus one. It's Rams at Seattle. Rams coming off, getting their uh, butts handed to them by the Cardinals at home after that big win in week three over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, people not out on the Rams, apparently. Rams now two and a half point favorites in this game tonight. Uh, total was 54 and a half. On the under on it, it's now at 54. Uh, money line, though, straight up win. Rams minus 125, meaning if you're wondering, it means if you bet $125, that would pay you back 100, return 225. Whereas the plus money, the Seahawks, home underdog, plus 115. If you bet 100 on the Seahawks, that would return 115. Uh, so you get back 215 on that. Interesting matchup tonight, Remus, between these two clubs. Divisional matchup. And I still don't really know what to expect from the Seahawks. They've had a couple really, really ugly losses. You know, the, the blowing it in the fourth quarter against Tennessee and getting mauled by the Vikings. Uh, but then they come back with a massive win against the Niners last week. Uh, this should be a really interesting Thursday nighter. Yeah, these, when these two teams play, like even those years when the Rams were terrible and the Seahawks were Super Bowl contenders, they'd always be close games. I think that was the Jeff Fisher coach Rams. But these are the different Rams team, you know, for a while. And that was Sean McVay, Matt Stafford. Uh, the Seahawks defense been pretty brutal. Uh, I would take the the two and a half here uh, for the Rams. Uh, you know, they lost last week, too, against Arizona. They're ready to bounce back. I know Seahawks always dangerous at home, but I, I would go with the Rams minus two and a half. I like their defense, and I don't think Seahawks are great at stopping anyone. Some of the other games, I, I forgot. We got an early morning game. Sunday, yes. if you want to watch football literally all day, Sunday's the day for you. Oh, and let's not forget, Monday is Thanksgiving Monday, so it's a holiday. Um, you can get up 8.30 a.m. from the home of Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, 
It's the New York Jets coming off their first win of the season and Zach Wilson's first win as a starting quarterback. They're three-point underdogs against the Atlanta Falcons. So that'll be the early, early game. Then the noon slate gets going. A couple of the best games on the slate. Packers going to the Natty to take on the three and one Bengals. Packers three-point road favorites. Uh, Patriots, big favorites on the road against the Texans. No surprise. Texans have been ugly since going to their backup rookie quarterback. Titans, four and a half point favorites in Jacksonville. We'll see what Urban Meyer gets out of his team after the tumultuous week that he's had. And wow, the number keeps on growing. It was eight and a half. Then it was nine. Now it's nine and a half for the Detroit Lions going up against the Minnesota Vikings. Still waiting here on Teddy Bridgewater. He was in concussion protocol Uh, I don't mind the Broncos at plus one against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. If Bridgewater's playing, if Drew Locke's playing, I'm out staying away from that game. Nothing could get me to bet the Steelers, though, right now with the way Ben Roethlisberger's playing. Uh, Miami's a 10-point underdog on the road to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this is a game I'm really interested to see. Saints and the WFT. Um, Saints still smarting from that shocking comeback win by the Giants and Danny Dimes throwing for 400 on them last week at the Superdome. Uh, It's the Saints and the WFT. Washington, a two and a half point home dog. I think I'm going to roll with the WFT this week. We'll see if we can get that number. Maybe just buy it up to three or three and a half and be able to get that key number with a three point win or less. Raiders, five point five and a half point favorites at home against the Bears. Justin Fields will start for the Bears going forward. And this is another game I'm really looking forward to seeing. Browns and Chargers. Uh, Chargers, two and a half point favorites at home. Sounds like Baker Mayfield has been dealing with a labrum issue in his non-throwing shoulder. So that has hampered him somewhat. But I'll tell you what, I think we're going to see a ton of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the weekend as the Browns try to maintain ball position, a possession, keep it away from Justin Herbert, and continue to pound that rock behind that offensive line. Niners, five-point underdogs against the Cardinals. Giants, seven-point dogs in Dallas to take on the Cowboys. And then the game Marshall Ferguson and I talked about earlier, clear your schedule for Sunday night. It is going to be a shootout, I'd imagine. The Bills coming off those three blowout wins, come to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. Chiefs offense is clicking, defense not so much. Kansas City a three-point home favorite, and the total on that game, 56.5 points. The Monday nighter is the Colts and the Ravens. Indy, a seven-point underdog on the road. All right, Remote, let's get to the baseball numbers. And uh, before we do that, how about that walk-off last night in the wildcard game? I really thought the Dodgers were going to blow it again. Um, They've done it so many times before finally winning the World Series in that weird shortened season last year. They've been so talented. They always seem to come up short. And there it was, the Cardinals, who miraculously won 17 in a row to get back into it and clinch that wildcard, were there in the ninth inning, but it was a walk-off bomb from Chris Taylor to get it done. And the Dodgers now are on their way, probably to a place they should have been already after winning 105 games in the season. Uh, but they're now into the NLDS. Yeah, a lot of you are laughing that, uh, what, so you win 105 games? So, I mean, you so okay, now you got to play the uh, wild card game, the one game play have to get in. Oh, you won that game? Now you have to play the only team that had, what, more wins than you? Uh, the San Francisco Giants, the first time ever, the Giants and the Dodgers meeting in the playoffs. So uh, congratulations to the Dodgers. The Cards had a shot against Kenley Jansen there in the ninth. I mean, you have your big bats, Goldschmidt, 
and Aaron Otto and uh, Jansen was vintage. Kenley Jansen, uh, you know, mowing it down great, with the strikeouts. Great chest pound after he got the, oh yeah, he's kind of struggled a bit the last couple <laughs> of years. So, but there he was getting it done, and uh, and it was Reyes giving up the walk off there to Chris Taylor. So, I mean, the Dodgers are totally loaded. I'm looking forward to that series. Uh, I you know this one game playoff is great. Uh, so intense. I mean, Red Sox oh. Yankees. I mean, I hate both You're of these teams. You're guaranteed game seven yeah. drama. You're guaranteed game seven drama. And baseball playoffs is uh, is among the best. Uh, just every pitch uh, you're hanging on. And I was kind of happy it ended early. I didn't. I was very tired after that Jets game, so I was I was uh, ready to. I went right to bed after that. So uh, well done, uh, I Dodgers. BS. You never go to bed early. That's. I was tired, man. I don't know. It was a lot. I I've been I've been tired. I don't know. I it's funny. Marshall all talk, that parenting. Yeah, Marshall talking about how he doesn't get to watch football anymore on Sundays because he's you know busy being a dad, and I can relate. I mean, I said to my son last Sunday, I'm like, hey, you know, we watch your TV all the time. Like, why don't we watch football? And he's like, no, dinosaurs. And I was like, come on, let's go. Let's what's the iPads football. for? For me or for him? For him. Please <laughs> <laughs> do. Just sum yeah. up. Here you go. Here's Baby Shark on repeat for the next six hours. I'm watching football. Yeah. Um, I was, I was going to say, Huss, in the chat, I didn't get to get to this during Marshall, but he dropped an Alex Brink reference. <laughs> I don't know. I if loved he, it. And, well, which, and I saw then everyone started, you know, dropping in chat yeah. the most random backup quarterbacks. That they can remember. I saw someone talking about winning a Stefan LaFour's jersey okay. at the Bombers coaches show <laughs> so, back in the casino. <laughs> so, yeah, days. so and then I said, okay, let's name all the Bombers quarterbacks from, you know, Kevin Kevin Glenn to when they got Matt Nichols. And you got a lot of Robert Marv, Max Hall, Joey Elliott, Stefan LaFour's. Elliott and Brink were the boys. They they were like Dan separate. Lefeer. They were they were inseparable, those guys. Really, really good dudes, yeah. too. I mean, that was sort of when I was just getting going in this mm-hmm. biz and they always had time so, for us. They were really, really like, I still follow those guys on Instagram. It was great to see. I think Alex is coaching. I know Joey got married and had a kid. Yeah, uh, needless to say, he, they're not playing professionally anymore. I think Joey like works for the Colts as a scout or something. Um, but uh, yeah, it was Michael Capti in chat. who was at the coaches show at the casino. And they're like, congrats, you won a Bombers jersey. And he's like, sweet. And then it was uh, St- Stefan LaFour's jersey. Back, Mike Kelly's guy. Mike and, Kelly's guy. After that, he was, I think there was a bit of disappointment. Like, you still have the jersey? He said, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I mean, I love, there's nothing I love more, Huss, than owning, like, the most random jerseys. Like, yeah, everyone has, like, uh, Milt Stiegel jersey or, you know, the star player. But to come out with, like, the most random, I mean, everyone, like, Mark, I'm sure there's a lot of Mark Shifley jerseys out there. But if someone wants to bring out, like, a Grant Klitsum or... Matt How about Halschuk. a game-worn Adam party? Yeah, or a game... It smells like Bud Light. Or a game-worn Adam party. I mean, I think that's cool. So, uh, shout-out to Michael Catty, who's kept, uh, kept that Stefan LaFour's jersey. Shout-out to Justin Goltz in chat from Weir's. Oh, Goltz so, so as well. And lot, then for yeah. some of the older folks, uh, will remember Sammy Garza, who yeah. uh, had the nickname slinging Sammy's son-in-law because he married Cal Murphy's daughter. Oh, <laughs> somehow able to maintain a spot on the team for a few years. Uh, there's some there's some good ones. Um, but yeah, I, I could sit here talking about obscure jerseys all day long yes. on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, let's see. The, the Mike Kelly reference, though, and I'll give our pal Tyson 
Ducharme uh, credit. Hit me up on Twitter after uh, I, I basically tweeted the Robin Brownlee uh, tweet yesterday just with the turd emoji. Um, that was when he was talking about, um, you know, Brock Sunderland apparently being responsible or accusing him of being banning Joey Moss from the dressing room where he'd worked for so long because he'd become a distraction. Um, Tyson said, oh, my God, this is their Joe Mack, Mike Kelly moment for Edmonton, um, <laughs> which is crazy. The one thing that's different, and this is why I'm still, you know, leery about laying a big number on the Bombers tomorrow is that they do have so much talent on that roster, Remo. And, you know, we'll talk to Ed about the game and the matchup and how the Bombers have dealt with the week and all that tomorrow on the program. But I just still expect so much more from a team with Trevor Harris and Wilder and Ellingson and all the players that they have on that squad. It's almost inconceivable that they're at the bottom of the West and even more inconceivable that they've lost twice to Ottawa this year. Yeah, I mean, the Bombers, the last time they played Edmonton for the first half of the game, it was super close. Um, you know, the Bombers have had some issues uh, this year, not last week, but uh, stopping the run. Um, who was it on John? I remember John White. I think it was John White who had the big one for uh, Toronto. Um, and James Wilder had a massive game last time they played. So uh, if Trevor, you know, if Trevor Harris doesn't turn the ball over, maybe there's it's a closer game. I mean, the spread, I think, is ridiculous, Huss. Um, I hate betting against the Bombers, but I, I think 13 points. Or what is it now, 13 and a half? It's 12 and a half. It's okay, so it went, it went down now that they announced Trevor Harris. I think that's a lot, a lot of points. I think they could keep it close. You don't ever know with garbage time, but I do think well, the Bombers the, the will The thing win. is, if the Bombers are just holding everyone to under 10 points, they're going to cover every single week. That's true. And that is, I mean, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the job they did last week against BC, um, this line is a straight-up reaction to that because certainly on paper, when you think about what Edmonton has, even coming off that ugly loss to Ottawa, um, you would think that the line would never be double digits for a team like that with Trevor. I know someone was asking who's quarterback. Trevor Harris is back. He will start for the Edmonton Elks tomorrow. Um, but it is going to be great. Tickets still available. I'm going to get out to the game. Cannot wait to uh, hopefully it'll be a great crowd, too. I know mm. that we've had great weather all week long. It's still going to be pretty nice out. I think a high of 19 tomorrow. Not quite the, the mid to high 20s mm. that we've had all week. Um, 30% chance of showers, but I think we should be good. So uh, if you haven't already, why don't you make plans to kick off the weekend, starting it down at IG Field with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and uh, grab a CC while you're there at some point during the game. Hey, just before we move off of Cool Bet and wrap up the show, uh, we were talking about the great game last night. Uh, I know there's lots of talk about how the Dodgers now have to play the Giants or what about the Giants having to play the Dodgers in the first round? Yeah, seating a little bit strange, um, but we do have the Braves and Brewers. Game number one, these games are going tomorrow. Uh, Braves plus 127, Brewers a home favorite at plus minus 156. Spent some time, with, not last weekend, but the weekend before at Ryder Cup, so we were in Wisconsin. Uh, Brewer fans very, very fired up to see Bernie hitting the slide throughout the playoffs as they go up against the Braves in the round. And then you've got the Dodgers and Giants, the top two teams in the league playing each other. Um, and the Giants still, Remus, getting like, I don't know what they have to do to actually be favored in a series. Uh, but there they are, underdog at home in game one, despite the fact the Dodgers just had to play. They had just had to use Scherzer. Um, home dog plus 102 in game number one. Dodgers minus 125. And the Dodgers, a clear favorite to win at plus 260. We do get two games going on tonight. Chicago White Sox and the Houston Astros. Astros minus 127 favorites at home. 
White Sox plus 108 on the money line. And the Red Sox and Rays, Tampa, a big, big favorite, minus 172. And the Red Sox, who survived that wild card race and the wild card game, plus 146 to win. And they're your futures. Rays plus 450. Astros and Giants 5 to 1. Brewers plus 850. White Sox 9 to 1. Red Sox plus 1050. And the Atlanta Braves plus 1200. What's going on tonight, Remo? What are you going to be doing? Watching some NFL football or uh, playing NHL 22 the entire night? Oh, man. Well, I only get, uh, it's like the trial for NHL 22. So I get 10 hours. So I got to use them wisely. Um, so we'll see. Maybe some <laughs> NHL. What time? What, when can you actually get the game? 10, a, 10 a.m. today. Uh, so I yeah, already got your 10 hours. But what about actually, like, I don't care about oh, the sorry, when, 10. Like, oh, I just want to get it? the game. Yeah. T- uh, Tuesday is like for pre orders. You get the super version next Tuesday, like after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like in okay. however many days. So yeah, it's always, I've been playing, man, it's hard, crazy thing that I've been playing this stupid video game for like, you know, since how many hours would you say you've logged playing that game? Too, on Twitch too many in total <clears throat> too many in my life or uh, just streaming. Wait, sorry. In uh, my life? Well, th- listen, the life, I mean, we don't have enough time. To, I've done the 10,000 hours number for that. <laughs> yeah, I've done a, I've done a lot. So, uh, big yeah, it's it's fun. So, oh oh well, if you want to hang out on on the Twitch, I am on there. And M Remus, if anyone wants to, uh, oh, come T-Kona and chat. Pauly with a great one in here. Come on, WST, yeah. chime in. Would the powerhouse Canadians of the '70s beat the Jets of the '70s when the NHL kept ducking us? Uh, well, it's a great question. No one will ever really know the answer on it. But I mean, anyone, I mean, obviously I wasn't around to, to even be cognizant of everything that was going on. But historians, at least around here, will tell you the Jets were the best team in the world outside of the National Hockey League. And nobody wanted to play them. So, uh, well, well, let's just say the Jets. The Jets would have done it. But those Habs teams were uh, were incredible powerhouses. One other thing I'll be looking at tonight, in addition to this football game, folks, <clears throat> huge game for our men's national team as they try to qualify for the World Cup, Canada versus Mexico. I believe the game starts in Winnipeg at around 840. Um, listen, a draw, Stadio Azteca, a very, very tough place to play. I know Canada's missing a few of those top players, but even you know, without Afonso Davies and I believe Jonathan David, the last time they played there in the Gold Cup, probably deserved a better fate, <clears throat> giving up a real late goal to avoid a tie. So they had a great start with five points in three games. Mexico, they then go to Jamaica, and then I believe host Panama in this next week of games. So, um, I mean, man, to get a point out of Mexico would be massive. But still, uh, I'm fired up. I'm going to be watching all of these qualifying games, really turning into a bit of a soccer guy, knowing that we might have a chance to really be competing on the world stage with some of the young stars that we have going up. I believe, I bet it last night, a little bit of a homer bet, but uh, bet the draw, plus 285 on cool bet. So uh, hopefully that comes in. We'd certainly love to talk about a great result for Canada tomorrow. Uh, it's been a great show. Can't wait for tomorrow. As I said, you hockey poolies, hockey draft ears, make sure you stick with us. Second half of the show, Andy McNeil from Vision's going to join us. We will have a big marble race with Canadian Club with a little product. The first hoodie we'll be giving away. So make sure you join us in the second half of the show tomorrow on YouTube as well. Uh, And before that, we'll uh, get ready for Bombers Elks with Ed Tate of BlueBombers.com. And welcome back, the loquacious, always hydrated, Ken Weeb. 
of Sportsnet and Kenny and Rennie. Big thanks to all of our sponsors, including Culligan Water. Check them out at Drink Culligan or pop by and see them at 1200 Sergeant. Donnie and the guys at Manitoba Battery. Get charged up for the winter. ManitobaBattery.com. Our friends over at Royal Sports. Uh, Princess Auto. Little Brown Jug. Boston Pizza might be a great night for the BP Lounge in that Thursday nighter. And you can get the soccer game on one of the other TVs as well. Not Autocorp, Canadian Club, Nick and Nikki DQ, and of course, Cool Bet Canada. Folks, the weekend's pretty much for sports fans starting tonight. Major League Baseball playoffs, NFL, Canada-Mexico World Cup qualifying. Set up a few screens or get to BP for it. We'll talk about it all tomorrow and get you set up for the weekend with the latest on the Winnipeg Jets and a tee-up of Bombers Elks tomorrow on a Friday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a great night, and thanks for being with us. Oh, my God! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.